My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge of the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between. It is my job as the host to think what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. This episode of the Holocene Podcast is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. Our first issue is out and shipping now, and you can use code PODCAST at checkout to receive 15% off the first issue. The first issue is a collection of stories and images and products from around the world about the human experience, and we've gotten a lot of incredible feedback and are currently fast at work on the second issue, and we'll share more information about that very soon. Today, I am joined by Oli Hoved. Oli is the founder of Switchback, a plant-based instant smoothie company changing the way people get their greens. Oli is driven by his desire to create great-tasting, quality products that his family and families across America will love. He's an accomplished leader with over nine years of experience working as a client advocate for businesses in food, manufacturing, logistics, private equity, and other industries. Prior, Oli spent seven years in sales management where he gained valuable insight into product development and consumer interests. Oli resides in Minneapolis and holds a BA from the University of Minnesota in political science. In his free time, you can find him exploring nature with his family, reading a book, baking a sweet treat, or mountain climbing. His favorite switchback flavor is jungle mango. I hope you all enjoy this conversation between myself and Oli Hoved. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Oli, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Great to see you again. Great to see you again. So... I start off every podcast by asking the same question, which is, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? You know, I've listened to some of your podcasts, and I was I was thinking about that. I'm like, what is the first thing I actually think about? I think the first thing I think is, oh, shit, what do I have to get done this morning? And how quickly <laughs> are my kids going to interrupt me? How often do you usually wake up before your kids? Every morning. And how much time do you usually have before that happens? On a good day. Uh, good day. Hour, hour and a half to an hour, 45 minutes on a good day. On a bad day, it might be an hour. I mean, I would say I get up, usually try and get up about five, if not 4.45. And then lately, it's been, I don't know, grab a cup of coffee. I, I used to work out first thing in the morning, but I love that time to actually work because then it gives me, an hour and a half, two hours. I'm a, I'm a morning person too. Like you, you catch me at 10 o'clock at night. I'm going to be an angry human. Yeah. So I'll make sure to keep this podcast short then. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, so I think it's interesting because I used to be the same way. I want to wake up at four thirty-five, go work out. And then like, I, I found that I like got tired much faster and I found that I actually work out better and feel better around like nine to 11 AM. And the best thing about it is like, some people will give you shit if you're like, hey, I'm going to go be selfish and go work out for, for, sorry, and go work for two hours in the middle of the day. But if, if you're like, hey, I'm going to go work out, everyone's like, oh, good, go work out. Glad you're being healthy. You know, so you can always, you can always <laughs> take the time to work out. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fun though, because I, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I love, I bring my bike to the office a lot. And usually from 12 to 1, I'll go on a 15 to 20 mile, 15 to 20 mile bike ride. It's, yeah. I like, I love working out over lunch. I, I mean, working out in the morning is great, but hell, in Minnesota, you got darkness, you know, it's dark until 745 half the year, I feel like. So mm -hmm. and I'm not going to wear one of those like 
fluorescent vests that my wife tells me I need to wear so I don't get hit by a car. I'm like, I just feel like an idiot wearing those. So <laughs> yeah, I think I'll take, I'll take it hit by a car. Uh, at least you'd get a good story out of it. I think I, I thought about that as well. Cause I, I also spent a lot of time on a bike and I'll get the fanciest, most expensive light systems or like crash detection systems and helmets, but I, and, but I'll never wear a vest ever, ever. No, no not, not my cup of tea. Although no. I think it was it last year. I was biking on the, there's a trail close to where we live. Mm-hmm. I biked it I don't, hundreds of times and it was dark out and I shut off my bike lamp on my fat tire bike. And right as I shut off the lamp, I turned onto the, I turned a corner on this trail. And I just saw this big shadow. And the last thought I had was, Oh, the tree had fallen down. There's no storm tree had fallen down in the middle of the night. And I mean, I locked up my brakes, went over my handlebars. It, that, that was painful. So I, I learned a lesson. Don't don't bike on trails that you're familiar with, uh, even if you think that you're familiar with them without a light on. I'd, for sure. Many people probably think I'm an idiot for that, but hey, it was fun. No, riding, riding in the dark when you know a trail with just enough light is, I used to do it a lot, but again, I also crashed many times because like that tree wasn't there, <laughs> you know? I've, I've done the exact same thing. So it's, uh, you, you and I can be kindred spirits in that, in that regard. Um, so when so walk me through your process like so when when the work you want to do first thing in the morning is it like the 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 hardest thing the thing that's been bothering you most the thing that has to get out fastest like what usually is yeah i you know what for me it's the stuff that being undiagnosed adhd Mm -hmm. it's it's the stuff that you know if i get if i wait till one o'clock when my energy level is draining i'm not going to do so usually a lot of times in the morning it's emails it's catching up it's kind of like grunt work that yeah. I don't thrive on. So that's when I, I get a lot of energy. I had a coach one time walk me through some stuff and she looked at me, she goes, you can't meet with people in the morning. She's like, you need to do the stuff that requires the most energy. Mm-hmm. And she was spot on. I, I've gotten yeah. so much more productive with that. So yeah, e- emails, tidying up, basic stuff, which, you know, who, who wants to sit in front of their computer for an hour and a half and just hack out emails? No one. I do it on my phone when I'm like on the bathtub like or or like waiting in line email to me is like that thing that i have to do that i always find the most inconvenient other times to do anything else i do email right like i think uh waiting in line i i I figured out recently that like i actually spend a weird amount of time every day waiting in line for something especially in a city like whether it's like to get in somewhere or to wait to check out you always have at least enough time to answer one email and I view every email as like, I'm an inbox zero guys. Like every email to me is like one I have to touch or move to another day. So, um, but yeah. So there's, there's interesting you bring this up. So there's, um, and as you see me typing my phone, everything I mentioned in this podcast, as some people know, will be listed below in show notes. I'm taking notes on my phone as I go. So I can make these for myself. Um, so there's a guy named Paul Graham, who one of the founders of Y Combinator, one of the biggest uh, startup incubators in the world. And he writes essays, and one of them is called Maker Schedule, Manager Schedule. And I think what you're alluding to is basically that. It's like, for me, I try to, my morning, which I consider to basically be like, this is strange. My morning is like any time before, up until lunch is done, which sounds weird, but like, that's what I qualify as my morning. That's for like highly creative work, working out, spending time outside. The afternoon is when I try to do meetings because like my brain, like yours, is already so fried. Um, and it isn't there. And then I weirdly get the second wind right before bedtime and I do more creative work. But like he talks about the base of the fact that like if you try to split up creative work time or time you have to get stuff done, 
with meetings, then you're just not going to get anything done on either end because your mind's going to be constantly, constantly context switching. So, you, you know, and that's, I, I would, I would love one more interesting thing that I've realized in the last 10 days since I went full time at a switchback was like, I used to never do any work at night. I like, you know, get the kids to bed and it was clean up and whatever. And now I'm laying in bed. My wife is watching a show and I'm sitting at my computer answering emails, doing strategy stuff. So 10, 10, 15, but it doesn't feel like work because there's passion behind it. So I'm like, mm-hmm. it, it is also really interesting. Like if you, I, at least my perspective now is if you're just drained by what you do, you're probably doing the wrong thing. Like go find something else. There's so many cool ways to make money in America mm-hmm. or any other country for that matter. So I don't know. Like that's, that's, that's <laughs> man, the people that ping me and tell me they can turn me into a millionaire tomorrow. I'm like, okay, cool. If you, if you can really give me a million dollars in sales tomorrow, you're hired. Yeah. But most of them are lying to you and trying to take your money. Really? <laughs> as long as not the prince from Nigeria, right? Um, <laughs> but so, you know, I, I'm interesting. I'm looking at my questions that I that I kind of wrote out. Um, and I wrote them out before, we like right around the time we met. So, you were pl- so, so the fun story that Oli and I have is that we were both an outdoor retailer in Salt Lake. Um, we were going to record a podcast and we sat down to record the podcast. And then we literally just talked for like, what, an hour until we realized that like, Hey, there might not be enough time. There's this cool event up in park city. We're going to go to, and then we decided to go there instead, which is a great decision by, I think everyone involved. Um, but if you're wondering how the the reason, but the reason why I bring that up is because the next question I was going to ask you is about when you think you're going to end your current day job and turn it into <laughs> the switchback full-time. So I'll let you explain why that question is no longer pertinent. Um, yeah, no, that's, that, that's, that's a great question. Um, and if you'd asked me that, if you'd asked me that um, at the outdoor retail show, I probably would have said like October one, but it, I mean, it's a, it, I mean, it's a funny story too, to the extent of, you know, they, they caught on to what I was doing that I was, you know, not entirely into it. And they asked me to, leave which i was totally cool with i mean i i i was gonna leave in october anyway but i i think the funny part of the story actually is my dad who was cfo of a large company and it's my cfo he i called him like dad you know uh, don't have a day job anymore and it's kind of expecting my dad to be like ah you idiot and my dad <laughs> goes good and i'm like whoa what he goes you should have quit 45 days ago he goes you can't launch a company <laughs> and not be completely committed he goes this isn't a side hustle. He goes, side hustles are you want to make a thousand, two thousand dollars a month. He goes, you are you're you're fundamentally changing food, so go go do it. So yeah, yeah, no, no longer have a day job. Um, I guess I do now. I've I have a full time job that is switchback. So to so to someone that keeps hearing switchback and doesn't know what it is, um, I'll let I'll let you describe it. But in like how would how would you describe what switchback does to your children? Like I want you to describe it that way. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I would say, you know, switchback does with my children is it gets real nutrients, real micronutrients in my kids that their bodies can absorb, and builds their immune system, keeps them thriving, and it's something they actually look forward to, in terms of fruits and vegetables. So, you know, it, it's it's really funny. My middle son's a picky, picky eater, and I mean, yeah, my wife made this amazing dinner tonight. And my son just, I want a grilled cheese, and I'm like, okay, dude, like whatever, and. <laughs> You know, like, like you, you got this amazing meal and you want to grill cheese. Okay. But 
he will even drink a smoothie every day and he's a super picky eater. So, you know, it's a smoothie that is eight ingredients or less that's loaded with micronutrients from the, the veggies and fruit inside of it that kids love. And I think that's the cool part about it is it was designed with my five and a half year old daughter. And now it's out in the market for everybody that can drink a smoothie from age yep. one to 110. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that a lot max age of the amount of student smoothies is pretty much infinite. So if they're old enough, they're gonna drink it. It's like they might not have teeth, but they can drink a smoothie. <laughs> no, I mean so so I I've now tried I've now had it, I think like probably fifteen fifteen servings, fifteen different packs uh, of all three flavors of it, and I can say like as a hardcore athletic greens guy for a few years, um, and someone who like I love mixing smoothies in a blender, like. I've honestly tried using it as like, because I'll, I'll make smoothies like a lot of protein mix and a lot of other like nutri purely nutrient-based stuff. And no matter how much fruit you put in there, sometimes you still get a taste of something that you don't want. Like collagen tastes not so great unless it's hit max by, masked by something. Whey is the same. But your thing actually really helps like balance out my smoothies as well, which I really like. So What, what protein? Have you mixed protein in with them? Mm-hmm. What's your go-to protein? I use two. I use a vi the vital proteins collagen, like the standard kind of plastic yeah. cylinder with the blue top. Um, I think it's it's the easiest to find. They have the purest ingredients, and they're very, like you guys, they're very um, uh, transparent about their supply chain and where they get their their stuff from, which I appreciate. And they also have different uh, like varieties. So usually I just go with the standard bovine one, which is usually made from cow stuff. But they also have a marine one that's made from fish stuff, and they have one that's both. So depending on, and because I know the collagen from each each animal group does different things. So depending on what I'm looking for, I'll, I'll usually stick with the bovine. And then for whey, because I do both, I do collagen and whey, because I I know that like even though I'm getting the nutrients of collagen from pure protein, the main benefit of collagen is for my like skin, hair, nails, joints, right? And as someone who's very active, the joint thing is what I care about most. But in yep. terms of like pure muscle muscle growth, like I'm a big whey guy, and I hate. I think most protein has a ton of just shit in it. So there's a brand called Isopure that literally like the only ingredient is whey. It is just pure whey with no other additives because I'm never ever taking it uh, by itself. I'm always mixing it with something. So I just don't want any extra. I, I'm not making a shake at the gym, you know, like I'm mixing it with fruit and other stuff. But I learned with your stuff is that I actually can mix a packet of switchback with two scoops of whey and like a 25 ounce shaker. And that's like, it, it almost makes it taste more like a, like a, like a smoothie that add like yogurt or ice cream to Cause it has that kind of like creamy milk texture to it. Um, which I like. So. Uh, Is it, and are you using vanilla whey or are you using chocolate? It's unflavored. Ooh. I've yeah. not had that. I've not, n nobody's told me that yet. Yeah. So, so, so literally that's what I said. There's one ingredient it is whey. Like the, the like literally, there's a I'll, I'll grab it and show you afterwards. But there's like I got a big a big tub from Amazon. It's like sixty servings for sixty dollars. I think it's a very fair price. Um, super high quality, super well sourced, and it's literally the only protein I could find that is like just wet. Just like the collagen in, um, uh, the the collagen mix inside of uh, the vital proteins is just the collagen, and then they actually add vitamin C and vitamin K. Because they've learned that this type of protein, it's like liocene. There's like what? There's 13 different proteins that make a protein, like the different molecules. And they've had the molecules that mostly make up collagen are better absorbed when taken alongside vitamin C. And vitamin, 
excuse me, K. So they actually include it in the protein powder to help it be more efficacious. So pretty cool. The science behind some of this stuff now is just crazy. It's amazing. I mean, right? You go back 60 years, it's like, you know, eat beef, potatoes, vegetables, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now the science of how these items, you know, all these different nutrients are absorbed into the body and how they can't be absorbed without certain things. Yeah. It's mind boggling. I mean, it's really cool to see how far nutrition has come. Now, if yeah. only we could get more people to actually take nutrition seriously, yeah, we can do something sure. cool. Maybe and look, knock like, out health care costs. I'll, I'll, I'll say this for the record. Like this, none of, none of my guests are ever sponsored. You're not sponsored on here. Like I, I originally wanted you on because I love a good founder story and I love someone who's just like, you know, going into it. But like after trying your product, like I told you, like I'm all in on it. Like, like I think it's, I think it's awesome. And for Thank me, you. it just, it just replaces athletic greens in my smoothies because athletic greens, something I add in there is what they call nutritional insurance. Um, something where it's like, if I happen to not have a very nutritious meal later, or like I don't hit my goals for the rest of the day, cause I always do my smoothie after I work out in the morning. Um, at least I have that. Right. And I was talking to you about this when we, when we met up is that like, there's just so many things inside athletic greens that aren't really necessary that are, or that I get from real food that most people don't, aren't going to use anyways, that I feel like I'm just paying for really expensive pee. Right. As we talked about, like the Olympic village has the most expensive pee in the world. Right. <laughs> um, and it doesn't taste very good. So like, I'm usually trying to mass a flavor with like fruit or acai or something else. So if I can have something that tastes good, that I can take makes into a smoothie or just take as is. Cause like if you just take other greens by itself, like I've gotten used to it over years and years of doing it, but it's, it's rough. Like the first time you give it to a friend, they're like, is this supposed to taste like what I think like a broccoli wearing a sock tastes like? Um, <laughs> uh, see, n- n- now you can understand where I come up with the term. Like I call it green powders, right? Mm-hmm. They serve a purpose. And, and I, I will say like AG1, they've done a phenomenal job and, and they've raised awareness for the importance for of sure. greens and a lot of that stuff. But, yeah. you know, I, I call those guys swamp water. I mean, it looks like swamp water. It tastes like swamp water. Mm-hmm. There's swamps all over Minnesota. I can just go out to a swamp, stick my face in. <laughs> it's probably got some pretty similar nutrients in it. Yeah. And there's a whole trend of mud water now, which is like that, like, I think mushroom. it's chaga mushroom. Yeah. Yeah. Thing. Um, I've never had that, but I've, I've, I've heard a lot of people say it's actually pretty good. I have too, but I just appreciate how they call it something that it looks like. Yeah. Like, like imagine athletic greens rebranded as swamp water. Like <laughs> I, I think it might appeal to the masses more, if that makes sense. But, um, hey, you know what? At least it can be known for something. If the term swamp water catches on, but switchback fails, I'm cool with it. Cool. I, I don't, I don't think it, I mean, so, you know, I don't, my phone's in auto dictate mode. So it's just writing down everything we speak, which is annoying. But, um, so, so going back to switchback, like what, at what moment did you decide to a make this product or try to go down the, start to go down this rash like path? And then at what point did you realize that this was going to become a thing? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, so are you familiar with the author of James Altucher at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've, I've read a lot of his books and listened to a lot of his podcasts and I, he, he had this thing, gosh, it's probably like five, six years ago. It was, it was write down 10 business ideas every day. And I always knew I wanted to go do something, not just be a, I guess, I guess, I don't know what the right word is, maybe be a part of something. And it was funny. I was actually looking at back at a bunch of my notebooks. Like it was amazing how many times faster, easier smoothie was written down by me on a business idea. 
And in January of 22, we just had our third kid and my wife and I would, I mean, she'd always tell me like, Hey, you know, we'd make a green smoothie every morning. Kind of a funny backstory to that. But she, she was saying, she goes, uh, yeah, it just kind of gets annoying to make the smoothie and the Vitamix every morning. It's loud. The kid would come down bleary eyed, like, you know, it's worrying. And my first iteration actually, Rob, was I took all my ingredients and I was like, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a, like a smoothie puck. And it's just going to be this puck of blended ingredients. We can just drop into the Vitamix and it'll, you know, blend up and whatever. That was the dumbest idea I've ever had. And like that was, but that was the start of switchback. Um, the puck would just bounce off the, off the blender blades up and down and up and down it took like i say like it took 20 minutes in the blender to actually blend up it was it was it was pretty funny um so then i, I you know one of the one of the great things about the last nine years in my former industry was i got to meet a lot of great people and i really you know i built pretty much my entire book of business off of networking one of the guys that i met was a guy from a engineering firm and i called him and i said hey i got this idea and want to bounce it off someone. So he introduced me to a friend of his that's a food science processing engineer over in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And we had a, like a 15 minute phone call. And about five minutes of the phone call, the guy goes, No, 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 nope, can't do cold chain, too expensive because you need to lifelize. I'm like, What the hell did you just say? And he kept saying it. And I'm like, Finally, I'm like, I, I got to, Michael, I got to interrupt you. Like, what, what are you saying? He goes, Oh, oh freeze drying. I'm like, why didn't you just say that? Like, why'd you use a scientific term? And so um, long story short, I went out and bought a freeze dryer and loaded up the kids, the three kids, my wife, just what my wife wanted to do two months after giving birth and just exhausted. Drove 45 minutes, bought a freeze dryer, which by the way, they're extremely heavy, loaded it in the car, got it home. You know, she's, she's the most amazing woman, but she was like, she just wanted to get inside. And I'm like, I got to set this thing up. I have to set it up. And it was probably three to four weeks after we took the first batch out of the freeze dryer. And it took about 24 to 36 hours, depending on what we're freeze drying, which now makes a lot of sense. Um, anybody that's freeze drying at home, don't try freeze drying mango with all your other ingredients because the cell structure of mango is so tight. It, it, it takes a lot longer to get the mango dry. Um, it takes about 36 to 48 hours to get mango dry in a home freeze dryer. But wow. anyway, so... Um, I, I made one, brought it in, and my daughter, you know, th- tossed all the ingredients in a food processor. I was super excited, and my daughter looked at me after she tried it. She gave me two thumbs down, and I was like, oh, bummer. Um, <laughs> and then it was back to the drying board, right? I'd wait another 36 hours for another load to come out of the freeze dryer. So um, about three weeks in, she gave me one thumb up, one thumb down, a little bit of a smile. And then it was a couple of days later, I was like, I just need to grind the hell out of this. So that's what I did. And it's probably early, late March, early April, 22. My daughter gave me two thumbs up and it was, you know, she was stoked. She asked for a second one. And then my, my two and a half year old at the time, Ellis, he, he's like, I want to try one. And he drank one. I was like, dude, if that dude drank it, something. something <laughs> this is the grilled cheese guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was like, he eats carbs, carbs, carbs. I call him, I call him yeah. CC. He's, he's the carb crusher. That's all he wants. And so <laughs> um, for him to drink a smoothie is like, it's like an act of God. So that was kind of, that was the moment that I knew we could do something. And I started giving them out to people. Like I, a lot of people always go like, well, who'd you give them to just your friends? They're, they're, they're going to lie to you. I'm like, no, no, I was smarter than you. Like I would give them to security guards. I saw in the building. I'd give them to people I met on planes. I'd give them just random people like, Hey, I got a friend. He owns a business. He's trying to get this off the ground. 
he's afraid to talk to people. He's really introverted. Would you just send me some feedback and I'll send it his way? And people would send me and be like, hey, man, loved your friend's smoothies. I want to buy them. And I was like, oh, wow. All right. So that was, it was probably mid-April is when I was like, I think we can do something with this. Yeah. Mid-April of last year, right? Yeah. Cool. And then since then, like, without giving away trade secrets, like, how did you, how did you scale something that you were doing in your house to doing something that you were making at scale? That's... That's a really good question. And actually looking back, it's kind of a funny one too, just because like I had no business starting a food company a year ago. It was mm-hmm. I mean, completely foreign to me. I think there's a, there's a couple of things. One in, so in, in April, I knew that it was, I knew it was going to work. I knew we could make it work. And so I approached a food science firm and a branding agency that I was referred into and they were amazing. And they were, they gave me some proposals and all of a sudden I'm staring at, $80,000 in food science and marketing costs. And I'm like, ah, I guess I'm going to love my insurance job a lot longer. And it was in June of last year. I, I kind of had a, had a run in them. As you probably know, I'm like, I'm a little stubborn, I'm a little obstinate mm-hmm. and you I love to listen. Yeah, exactly. Shut up. Um, and <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm like, you know, just, just got sick of something. And I, I, uh, walked out of a meeting, called a mentor of mine. He just said some, some very cool words. He goes, you know what to do. And I'm like, that was a profound few words. And so I signed the contract, the food science and marketing firm, and just thought, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to make this work. I believe in it. My kids love it. My family loves it. Yeah. And I'm going to figure out how to make it work. <clears throat> and then one kind of funny story is my dad, who was in the beef industry most of his life, um, when I told him what I was going to do, my dad kind of looked at me. He's like, He's super supportive. He's amazing. But you can tell, like, he was looking in his face. And, like, I think he wanted to say, like, you're an idiot. And <laughs> he didn't say I'm an idiot, but he's like, that sounds disgusting. And so I was like, <laughs> I was like, God, mom, dad, you guys got to try this. Like, just try it. So I dropped a couple of these. And I was, at that time, I was like making them, putting these like, little Dixie cup type things and like mm-hmm. sealing them. And I dropped some off and a couple of days go by, I don't hear a word. All of a sudden, my dad calls me like in like this state of panic. I'm like, oh shit, mom died. Like, this is good. And it turns out he had, he and my mom drank the smoothies and they thought they were so good. They wanted more of them. And he's like, before you go to town, you got to bring me, you got to bring me 20 smoothies. I'm going, I, 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 there's like literally all summer long. I mean, I'm hand grinding this stuff. Like it's, it's laborious. And he would call me and he'd clean out my smoothie collection before I could. So um, he, he actually, it was last summer. He's like, I'm going to help you. He's like, I, you know, you're, you're really good at what you do, but you're not a CFO. And so he was the one who built a lot of our financial plans and projections. Quite frankly, I mean, w- without him, I, I, I would be, I would have made a lot of catastrophic errors, but I, I, I started Googling co-packers. I, I knew there was a food, I knew there were a number of firms out there that, that had either freeze dried or drum dried product, mm-hmm. but I couldn't find a co-pack. I mean, I reached out to 40, 50 co-packers. And all but three never returned a phone call, never returned an email. I mean, it, it was like I was calling people willing to give them money. And yeah. they're like, no, no. And which makes sense because we're kind of at the, the the tail end of this massive food boom in America. So yeah. uh, got a co-packer. They, they, they called me back and said, hey, you just got to meet our minimum of 85,000 units. And I'm like, easy. I'm going to make 160,000. Well, fast forward like seven months. 
well, I didn't realize I meant 85,000 of each SKU. So thank God that they were amazing <laughs> and they worked with me because, yeah, we definitely, we, I think we made like 62,000 of each SKU. So they were super nice and, and, and fun to work with. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was more difficult to find a co-packer hmm. than any part of the process. The rest of it kind of came together just because there's so many people like, yeah, I know this, I, I can help you with that. And then it was like, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're listening or you're an aspiring entrepreneur, just, you know, it sounds so cliche, but like everybody works on their time, not your time. And mm -hmm. nobody, nobody wants something as bad as you want it. So you really have to stay on top of every single person out there. Otherwise it's not going to get done. And that's, that was my experience of like, you know, Oh, you want packaging. Oh, great. Yeah. There's a 45 day lead time. And yeah. <laughs> oh no, we can't reserve your place in line. I'm like, Oh, okay. What? So it was just a lot of parts and pieces, a lot of, a lot, a lot of fun pulling a lot of people from, you know, CPAs, legal, et cetera. And it's, it's been a wild ride. Something that I definitely, I don't, I, I definitely could have done this 10 years ago, but now I, I have the, the network and the bandwidth to do it. And I wouldn't do anything different. I, I literally would not do anything differently. I mean, I do things mm -hmm. differently starting the business, but I wouldn't, there's no way if we go back a year, I would 100. I actually, I'd probably tell myself to quit my job six months sooner. Yeah. But that, that extra six months of, of runway that you gained from working plus, you know, being fired and getting severance, like that makes the world of difference, especially in the company. Like every dollar is, you know, traceable, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, from a cash burn perspective, it, it saved, I mean, our initial model had me taking a salary starting in January. So, I mean, you think about it, yeah. we saved a, I mean, I saved myself or mm -hmm. my company a lot of money by not taking a salary until yeah. probably September or October. So. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a huge help and allows us to do a lot sure. of stuff that many, many firms can't. Yeah. And also I, I know you and like, I know you didn't spend, even though your company been like, he's not involved anymore. I know you would, you still were doing the best by your clients and like, you know, getting everything done. So it's not like you were just like, you know, pretending to work and sitting there collecting a salary. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, to that point, it's funny. I mean, most of my clients knew what I was doing and they were completely supportive of it. They thought it was really cool because it was like, I'm sure. Yeah go do it and i mean yeah i mean in the clients that i didn't really want to share that with no absolutely i mean i, I wasn't leaving anybody high and dry but um it's, it's funny having my clients call me now that they've sent out the email that i resigned and yeah it's like people are kind of like oh congratulations I'm like yeah i probably should have told you some of you guys sooner but you're being in great hands and i'll tell anybody that, like the the teams that are that are working on those accounts they're damn good and so I'm, I'm, I was overhead to most of those accounts anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess the nice thing too about that is, is like, you know, I have my own side companies that are companies of side companies. So some, sometimes people view like the magazine, the podcast, my main company, and they view like what I do is most of my time with startups is like the side company. And I'm like, no, 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 this is the other way around. But like every person I work with is like, oh, cool. You do this too. Like, I, I think there's like two ways of thinking. It's like the old school way of like, you're going to put 40 years at one company and you're going to get there so long. Everyone knows you and you have your picture on the wall and, you know, you just live and breathe this thing and anything else is heresy. And then there's like the other side, which is the new way of thinking, like more the entrepreneurial way of thinking, which is like um, you have these eclectic couple different things that seem to work well together. And sometimes one of them will just pull you into oblivion. But like everyone's like, oh, it's so cool. You know, like people, I, I'm sure your, some of your clients are like, can you send me some? I want to try some, you know? I had, I had a few, I had actually quite a few clients that were like, Hey, 
you you gotta let me try this stuff. And many of those clients are now buying. I mean, many of those clients are buying monthly supplies, m monthly subscriptions. And then, I mean, I've I've got a lot of like even just like prospects and COIs and stuff that are like, all of a sudden I'm seeing these orders come through. I'm like, oh wow, and then, like it's recurring. And so, mm -hmm. I weirdly enough though, Rob, like I feel like I'm actually adding way more value to their life now, being able to provide them such an awesome product mm -hmm. than just selling insurance because like. I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, have you ever been like, man, I love my insurance broker. I'm so thankful he called me. It's so thankful he saved me 1200 bucks. Like, no, you, you, the moment they walk <laughs> out, you're like, I, I hate my insurance guy. So I, it's, it's, I'm, I'm having, I'm having fun with this and it, it's exciting to see. And good. I'm actually like, I, I told my kids when I was like, yeah, dad, kind of good. Dad doesn't have a day job anymore. And my daughter looks at me, she goes, dad, it's okay the world needs your smoothies. And I was like, Oh my God, honey, like you're amazing. <laughs> and, and you're totally right. Yeah. And the best thing about, it, I'm, I'm sure she's also smart and precocious enough to realize that this means daddy's home all day now. So, um, yeah, well, thank God I hedged my bets though, Rob. And I, yeah. I, I've got an office space just West of my house about five smart. minutes away. Yeah. Oh, it, no, trust me. Like it's, I love my kids more than anything, but after about 17 minutes in the morning, I look at my wife and like, they're yours until 6 p.m. No, I'm just kidding. But it's, it, it, I mean, like, I, I don't, I, I mean, speaking of, like, think about COVID. And I mean, if you had kids, if, if I, if COVID occurred today with my kids at this age and we had to be in this house, like, I don't know what I'd do. Like, yeah. it, it, it'd, be, it'd be chaos. So to all those people out there that managed to get through COVID with young kids that were, you know, one, three, five at the time COVID went on, like, God bless you. Yeah, seriously. And so your kids now are, basically one-ish three and a half-ish and like six-ish yep cool cool what, what did um I, kind of switch topics briefly for a second like what perspective did like having the third kid have over the second kid over the first kid if that makes sense like what, like what like i'm always curious to ask that question like did you learn something new from like by the time you had a third one yeah i i think you learned to be a lot more chill mm. you learn that uh, although I've got a weird parenting style. And so my parenting style is like, Hey, if you want to jump off the deck, you can jump off the deck, but there's a consequence for it. Yeah. Chances are you're going to be okay, but you could get hurt. And so I'm kind of like that free range parenting of like, yeah, you guys want to go side, go side. Uh, but I would say, but like, you know, by the third kid, I think you learn to tune out a lot more like just the nonsense of, a lot of the screaming and the chaos becomes, I mean, it's still frustrating at times. You're just like, okay, like if my son and my, if my middle son and my daughter is the oldest, they're like beating each other up. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, like figure, figure your stuff out. Um, Agreed. So I, I would say that's probably the biggest piece for me. And just like, I, I would say the biggest struggle though with it, the, the biggest, the biggest adaption that's been tough is like making sure each kid gets alone time with mom and dad, like to go do something or, Cause it just becomes more of a chaotic and like, sure. Hey man, if we're, if my wife and I are getting out of the house, we want to get out of the house together. Like we want to go grab dinner and not eat an entire meal in four minutes and seven seconds. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense actually. Like I think, you know, if I look at all the people I know that have a couple siblings that have issues, with their parents, they never really got one-on-one -on -one time with their parents. I think that's super important, like a socialization psychology perspective. Right. I think I think it's I think it's incredibly important. Yeah, makes sense. Hmm. Interesting. 
So kind of hopping back over to switch back with your kids, like wh wh what are your hopes? Like what do you, wh where do you want this to be? And, you know, I, I don't, I'm like, I think you probably subscribe to this idea, but like, I believe, you know, not to quote the cliche quote, but like blueprints for a future are fool's errands. So like I, any plan I make more than 12 months, I know is almost no chance of being realistic. So like, where do you, where do you see this in like six to eight months? You know, I, I wish I had, I wish I could give you an accurate, an accurate estimation. I mean, every estimate that we had with the exception of our costs um uh, are way off our actually our costs are way off. our costs are way lower uh because we were delayed by a month or two on launch but mm -hmm. you know if if i in a dream world if we can get to 1500 purchases a month of seven packs or 21 packs anything mm -hmm. kind of in that realm i think that would be a great 12 month runway and i think my cfo would be ecstatic about that you did i think those that are that are helping me yeah i mean it's weird to say, I, you know, I think my dad would be ecstatic, but it is funny. Like, and I know, like, he calls me, like, we're on the phone at, like, I don't know, 5.15, 5.30 every morning. He's calling me, you know, asking me questions, and it, it's it's really cool. But, I, yeah, I think, awesome. I, I, think tw I think 12 months out, you know, 1,500 monthly purchases is the goal. I, I don't know what the dollar value is on that because I, I just have no idea whether it's going to be all Amazon. You have to share or, it, right? Like, because Amazon, you're going to have a much lower – you're going to take a lot less than selling it directly, right? So, yeah, it's it's, it's wild. It yeah, took a I'm big, big cut. yeah, so I'm curious about that. So, like, you know, for some people, Amazon is a means to an end. For some people, Amazon is a temporary way to get people hooked onto a product and that while you create your own system and people to switch. Like, there are many, many nutrition, nutrient companies where I originally bought on Amazon. Now I just buy directly for them because they offer like a better discount if I'm buying a couple of them. And I know that the company is getting far more of the money and I'd rather give them the money so they can innovate and make more products than like have it go to someone like Amazon, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's, I have learned a lot about Amazon the last couple months. And first I'll, I'll, if any of my friends ever listen to this, they'll probably give me a lot of crap because I used to hate Amazon and I've learned to really respect Amazon because mm -hmm. they have so many products that you literally like, I mean, Never. You could go to 25 hardware stores and 25 other stores and still not find the stuff that you can get on Amazon delivered to your door in a right. day and a half. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a beast unto itself. I, I think, you know, getting on Amazon is a, is a huge, huge focus of ours. We should be live on Amazon middle of August at, at the awesome. latest. I, you know, in terms of pricing, like I, you know, we offer a family pack now and that'll be, that's, you, you, if it's not on our website, it will be shortly that I, I will never put on Amazon just because we can really control the cost and it's a hell of a deal to the consumer. I mean, you can buy 150 smoothies, which is, I don't know, what's that, uh, call it 600 cups of vegetables and produce delivered to your door for 450 bucks, which is 92 cents cheaper per pack than, than what we sell it for in a 21 pack. Yeah. So I, I think I've seen a lot of companies do that where they put, you know, one skew or two skews on Amazon and then they try and get you over their website, which I respect that. And I agree with you. Like I'd, mm -hmm. I mean, shipping it from our website, you're not going to get it in two days. And For I'm sure. totally cool with it. Like I don't need stuff in two days. Plenty of Especially stuff. Buying up. Bulk. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, I think we talked about this, uh, you know, my interest, you know, from my, cons my consumption practice would be like, if I could do like one month or two months, 
and it just shows up exactly when 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 I say like I want the first on odd months and I want 60 servings, you know, 20 of each. And you're like, cool. That's that's the big thing. It's that's my problem with a lot of I guess supplement companies is like yours is great because it's already individual. And I'm sure one day you might decide to like we talked about this, but like we talked about freshness versus quality and how like maybe making a big pouch of it that's like 10 servings you scoop from might not be the best thing for your product because there is like a I, I can taste even athletic greens. Like if I get the 30 serving bag and I put it in the fridge and keep it in like the perfect sealed Pyrex container and only open it when I scoop it out, like there is a there is a flavor loss and I'm sure a nutritional loss from like the second I open it to like the 30th serving. You know? Yeah, I mean, I you know, toughest thing with our products, right? I, and I, I haven't looked at AG One's stuff recently, but mm-hmm. with how much fruit, I mean, in how much fruit? We have a cup of fruit in each packet, give or take. Yeah, those fruit powders love moisture. I mean, I was I was tinkering in my my office today, trying to come up with like a chocolate one, and so I was trying to make a chocolate berry one, and mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't think I touched my strawberry powder in I don't know a couple months, and it was. I mean, I have it in two bags inside an airtight mm-hmm. container. It was still, I mean, it's, you know, there's some clumps in there. I, my biggest thing is trying to help control the user experience so that mm-hmm. they, every smoothie, right? If you rip open a packet, it should be consistent time after time after time. And that's my, that's my fear with, with that is like, if you get a kid that's like, I'm super stoked. Like if my daughter was like, I'm going to make my own smoothie. And that, that scoop hits the water and then she drops it back in the container. You're going to have a, you're gonna have a pretty yeah. good chunk of concrete there in about 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and that's that's something I realized with athletic greens too. It's like you get moisture anywhere near that, and that's the thing. It's like for someone like you or I, who's an adult that can you know has fantastic motor skills, usually um, that's fine. But for like anyone at the age of 16, 12, you know, it's just not 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 the best. That's interesting. You actually, bring that up. Um, so I'm just taking, I'm adding that to something I need to think about. But so so going off of that, like where where do you see this? Like, because I, th- I th- sorry, let me, let me rephrase this question. Where do you see consumer preference trending when it comes to like nutritional foods? Because I think that every day more and more people, especially in America, become aware of what they're eating and what it does to you. And I think that like I hope there's a future in which like I can walk down a grocery store and tell my kid you know, that's maybe 10 and say like these aisles used to be lined with things that were basically made from fake stuff. And now there's more things that are made from real things than fake. Things. And I love this like weird kind of circular society where like we start at real, we're going to fake, we're going back to real. Like where, where do you see all that headed yourself? You know, the optimist in me wants to think that we're going back to minimally processed and that's going to be the future. I think there's a, there, there's a couple of barriers. Number one, right, taste is king. And I think anything in the food channel, it doesn't matter how healthy it is, it has to taste good. And I think you've probably experienced plenty of products out there that you're like, man, I'm super stoked. This is super healthy. You eat it, and you're like, this is disgusting. And I'm not, I'm, like, I don't care how healthy this is, I'm not going to eat it. I mean, like, I liken it to, you know, if you wanted to make a really healthy salad, you just take spinach and kale, throw it in a bowl, throw some vegetables, some other vegetables on top of it and eat it. But like, you don't do it because those don't typically taste really good. So you add dressing to it or you add something else to it. So exactly. Oh, give me some good croutons. Um, But (laughs) I I, I would say this, you know, price is, price is a big driver for a lot of people. 
And as I'm continually shocked every time I go grocery shopping about how absurdly expensive things are in the grocery store, I don't think I don't think price is going to be the barrier for a lot of people. In, in, in the broad market of, of healthier items, I actually think that it's more an awareness of understanding, like, what what is this doing to my body? So the way I the way I think about it is, you know, and I, I don't know if the if this is actually statistically true. We've, I've heard it tossed around all the time, like 90 percent of diseases in America are earned. So we, we earn them via That's our lifestyle. Yeah. And it, it, it very well could be. And so, like, I, I think and I, I don't know if there's a way you can correlate this or even even do a study, but be interesting to know, like, if the cost of healthcare is, you know, staggering, what would happen if we actually took care of our bodies? And I get it. Like, we got young kids. Shit, we, I think we've already hit our deductible, like, four times this year because, you know, a couple ER visits here and there. But, you know, as adults, if we don't take care of our body, mm-hmm. we're going to continue to – we're going to have joint issues. We're going to have joint replacements. We're going to have – you know, heart disease, you name it. And I'm not the epitome of health, but I try and eat pretty healthy. So sure. I, I would say, you know, I'm optimistic that people are waking up and they're starting to say like, Hey, you know, $3 and 92 cents for an awesome smoothie. I'm okay with it. Yeah. As opposed to seven forty nine for my Starbucks, you know, latte with 750 calories. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, there's so many people that just, it's easier to be, it's easier to be really lazy and like and want to blame someone else for your actions than it is to actually take action for yeah. what you have. So, I, I was looking recently and like the leading cause of death, le- leading so like cause of death is a hard thing to attribute to, but they're basically lumping it in terms of like uh, obesity is a big one, right? But then they're like, okay, but what causes obesity? Because obesity we've known is like a, a huge killer because it just brings on like more likelihood of all kinds of diseases from like autoimmune to cancer to respiratory to heart all of it right but like what is the leading cause of obesity and it's obviously food like that's the, that's the obvious answer but like what food is it and they basically trace it down through this like multi it was like a 10-year study backed by like you know top institutions and schools and, and it's one i actually subscribe to it's all about vegetable oils like vegetable oils and f- fucking everything these days like if, if you don't believe me like go into trader joe's or go into even like a Kroger or like a local grocery store and look at all the name brand stuff. And there's vegetable oil in every single thing. It's in drinks, it's in mixed drinks, it's in cookies, it's in bread, it's in cereal, it's in pasta, it's in everything. Because it's cheap, it's easy to make, but our body just cannot process it well. It just turns into fat. So the, in my I, mind, the farther we can get away from that, the better we are. So Don't, don't even, I, I mean, I, we, we could talk about this for the next 12 hours and I, I'm, I'm a pretty, like, Okay, do I love some good buffalo wings every now and then, or oh, some absolutely. good fries? One hundred percent. But you're, I, I, I think you, you hit something spot on. I mean, vegetable oils is term that we use because it sounds pretty. Like, mm-hmm. it's really not a pretty process, and it's actually really disturbing when you look at how vegetable oils manufactured. Like, like organic vegetable oil, you know, it's cold pressed, whatever. It's it's or expeller pressed, uh, but the traditional you know vegetable oil that we get is like they use some pretty gnarly chemicals to extract stuff and it's pretty wild and i think i think malcolm gladwell did a great revisionist history on that where he talked about the mcdonald's french fries like going from beef tallow to vegetable oil and how uniforms are spontaneously combusting because the vegetable oil was so unstable and you're like yeah but we're putting that in our body that's a smart choice yeah seriously um i had an argument with someone recently who was like it was a vegan 
and they were saying that they don't eat McDonald's fries, still uses beef tallow. And I was like, honey, like, I wish they were still covered in beef tallow. Like, they're using peanut or soy or probably peanut. It just smells like peanut oil. But, so I mean, not good. The, the beef tallow, I think it was after I listened to the Gladwell podcast, I was like, I want to make some fries and beef tallow. Go buy some good beef tallow and, and make homemade fries. Yeah. In beef tallow, like, I understand what he was saying in the podcast. Like, you only need six, seven fries because they're so rich. Whereas, yeah. like, you go to McDonald's, you can eat an entire tray of fries because they're sure. not satiating because there's not a lot of flavor to them. And that's the thing about vegetable oil, too, is it's like it's something that our body it, it's, it's not filling to us. Their body can't process it. So it's something that people just fall back on and will gorge themselves on. You never really feel full until you feel physically full. Like, you're not, it's, you're not like, you're not being, as you said, satisfied, satiated. And I think another one that's like really going to come back and bite people is, is aspartame. Like, you know, the, the big study just came out and it's about to be outlawed by the FDA in the next two months, which is going to like, you know, I, I'm sure you know at least a dozen people that are addicted to diet soda. And I know at least a dozen to a hundred million people addicted by diet soda, diet soda. And like, it's going to fundamentally change that entire diet soda landscape. Cause like, I tell people like diet stuff is never like my, my, my belief is this. If you want a Coke, go, go get a can of yep. like red Coke, right? Like if you want, if you want ice cream, go get the real thing. If you want this, get the real thing. Cause like those, those, the sugar and the fat, you're going to get satiated so much faster. Yeah. Hey, Ron, there's a guy is at the NACTA convention and there's a guy from the statue company and he was awesome. And he came over and um, the guy was talking about, it, ta- talking about the fact he drinks Mexican Coke. And the guy's like, yeah, I know you guys are going to tell me that. I'm like, dude, like, I'm not, I'm not a health warrior. Like, I'm not going to sit here and lecture you on what you eat. And, but I go, actually, I would like, I would argue drinking a regular Coke, having a regular Coke every day is going to be fine. Like, and, and, and he's, he's like, because we were talking about like the sugar. And he goes, he goes that's what I say. He's like, I'm not going to drink all those chemicals. I'm like, I, I mean, I think that's the broader issue that I struggle with is, this demand for overly sweetened products. And so like we, my food science firm initially wanted me to put in stevia into our oh, smoothies. And I was like, I was like, no, I, I did like, you know, like, well, the consumer is going to want them sweeter. I'm like, I, I don't like, I, I want everybody to drink our smoothies because I think they're really good. But mm-hmm. the reality is if you start putting stevia into smoothies, you're just training people that they need to have something like, I think they're sweet enough. Like, they're plenty it, sweet, yeah. But, but, but this whole thing around all of the stevia and these, these you know, natural, artificial sweeteners, whatever, like, it blows my mind how many people have to have those products. Like, you're better off eating a piece of chocolate and your body's going to be satiated as opposed to eating, you know, 17 chocolate bars because they have stevia and they have yeah. lower calories, whatever. And also, like, I don't, like, so not to go off on a tangent here about, fake sugar but like i know steve people like stevia is from a plant i'm like yeah so so, there's so many bad things for you that are from a plant you know including most major like the basis of of things like bleach you know um and (laughs) drugs right that that come from plants like plants are a lot of plants are just poisonous to humans and they always will be so i like the whole like it's plant it's healthy it's i i I don't tell that but like aspartame in general like do you know how aspartame is made like at a base level most people don't know this because, like, I, I tell the story to every person who's drink, drinking a diet soda. And I, I'm not trying to ruin it for them. I'm really not trying to ruin it for them. But, like, I want them to just understand what they're putting in their body. And I had a, I had a boss once that drank, he was, like, the, 
you know, the 12 pack of cans a day kind of Diet Coke drink. And his assistant would literally bring in a new 12 pack every day because you want to have at least three reserved in case he had like a bad day and had to drink multiple sleeves of Diet Coke, which to me is just disturbing. Anyways, so aspartame, um, at a very basic level, they take sucrose or glucose, like standard table sugar, uh, and they pass chlorine gas over it and through, through a process called sublimination or it's, uh, there's some other types of process. But basically, they're combining this chlorine gas, which was like one of the leading causes of death in World War I was chlorine gases used on trench lines because when it reaches your lungs, it turns into hydrochloric acid and obviously just burns your lungs from the inside out. So this, they realized it is toxic to the human body, but it tastes like sugar. So your body just cannot process it. So it's just peeing it out. So basically you're getting this taste of this like sweet tangy thing and it's just going straight out to your teeth. But that's why it's been causing cancer because like you can't put chlorine in your body or sometimes they'll use something else, some other kind of sulfate or, 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 or related salt. Um, but it's just, it's just not good for you. Obviously not. Like if, if someone said like, hey, there's chlorine in there, like the stuff you use to clean your pool, they'd probably stop drinking it pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, I would, I would hope people would stop. Like, if people actually understood how some of the stuff is made, because I, I, I think that's the crazy part. There's is how many chemicals hmm. are in different foods, and I mean, yeah. you know, people can make an argument for everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, gonna go argue with anybody about, you know, what food is good or bad from that perspective. But like, it is crazy how many chemicals are in food. Like, how many, how many like chemical names, and like, I, it shouldn't. It's, well, I mean, you've seen our nutri- nutrient label. Like, people go, oh my gosh, I can read everything. I'm like, yeah. Like, how sad is it that we have people saying that? Like, what does that say about our nutrient labels in America when people are like, they're shocked that they can read mm-hmm. our eight ingredients? Like, what are people putting into these foods? Terrible things. And that's, that's why I want, not to go back to, to green powders in general, they either claim that they're a health thing so they don't put any ingredients on there whatsoever or if you look at the ingredients you're like i i i think so just let me put this into one idea and my head scattered at this point in the day so i apologize but <laughs> like a blithering idiot to anyone listening out there you only but um you know if if the green powder might have you know an extra couple picograms of k12 which apparently is useful for some part of the body at some point in time you're probably going to pee out anyways but that process of getting that involves chemicals or something that's sketchy or not environmentally sustainable. Then what's the point in consuming, you know, um, that's my whole thing. That, I mean, that's, that, that's my argument with the green powders too, is that like, people need to read, people need to understand a nu- nutrient label. And you've heard me say this and I, I think I'm on a soapbox. Like look at the micronutrients. Like, if you're doubting what we have, we have eight ingredients. We don't have, anything on there that is unreadable by the human. We don't have any, mm-hmm. you know, vitamins that are synthetically or derived from chemicals. Mm-hmm. I'm like, guys, like you're buying these green powders. And the only thing they call, call out is like, you get 4% of your daily iron and maybe like a tiny, like 1% of something else. I'm like, why are you drinking that? You're not getting, you're not, if there's no, if they're not calling micronutrients out on the label, there are not enough micronutrients for them. Cause like, like even my, my food science firm is like, your new your nutrient label is another form of advertising like you want to explain to people what's in there and so i mean i'm I, that's the other thing that i'm always shocked by with with the swamp waters is like mm-hmm. you're drinking this why like yeah you're torturing yourself it shouldn't it shouldn't be displeasure which you said it's sustainable and i mean that's that's my argument too is you know we are the most sustainable green powder in the market why because 
I will almost guarantee everybody will find one flavor they like, but I want to know what percentage of green powders in America go to the landfill. I bet you it's north of 50% of all green powders purchased by the consumer end up in a landfill. Yeah, for sure. Or just in the sewer because it's just like it's being peed out. Most of the, you know, most of the things are found. But as, as you were saying, like most of, so here's my problem with, and I'll, I'll pick on Athletic Greens because I think they have one of the most brilliant marketing strategies because they have like sponsor every single other podcast in the world yep. and people send out their links. It's brilliant. I think that like that kind of um, influencer style marketing like is, is huge, you know, and that kind of keeps things moving and going. Um, and that sign up code, that like whole like, hey, sign up in my name, you get a free, maybe it's a trial pack or a sh- blender shaker or whatever. I think they offer like five free travel packs plus their like K- vitamin K and vitamin D dropper. Yep. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you thought about doing something like that for your company. I'm sure it's in the pipeline. But like, I'm just looking now on my computer at the list of ingredients. And like, your product has more potassium and actually every single thing yours has that is like, you know, very important for living. Like people don't realize how important potassium is. So someone who used to have heart problems before they got fixed by surgery, like electrolytes, especially potassium is kind of everything, you know, like if you want to have like a hydrated, healthy functioning body, like those things are very important. And like, that's what your product's loaded with. But like, you know, you don't have pantothenic acid, four milligrams of that that's nothing although knowing your product there probably is some of that in there you're just not going to call it out because it says it's available in like most green leafy vegetables and you know so there's probably a little bit of that in what you have in there anyways so like you could probably go into a food science firm and say i want you to find every single minimal micro and pico ingredient possible and then throw it on a label and and then that's probably what it is you know, there's probably no actual nutritional difference between what your, yours does and what like, and that was my argument is because I, at first, when I, when I first heard of your product, I had this like weird gut reaction because I was used to seeing these like ridiculous resumes of a nutrition label. Like, but, oh, but my athletic greens has, you know, uh, I'm just picking something crazy, like uh, 680 micro centigrams of DFE folate, like. Ooh, like, what does that do? I don't know. But like, I'm sure there are many other things that also have that, that I eat on every day, basically eat a healthy diet, you know? So like, so like my initial reservations to trying to like converting over to your product was like, I want that crazy laundry list of things that you feel good. But I'm like, you really don't. I just, I don't, I don't know. They don't, because they say that, you know, it's sourced from 75 different fruits and vegetables and other things. But like you don't know the process that they went to to make that, and they're and that's the one thing about AG. I'm, not, I'm picking on AG one. They're like the they're the cream of the crop for green powders, so it's fun to pick on them. But like I don't know the process. They're very sketchy about talking about the process and the ingredients and where they come from. So like, you know, who knows? They could be buying the secondhand produce that uh, they're getting from Asia and other countries, and they're shipping it to New Zealand where they make it, and then they're just putting it together, and it's like so mixed and so messed up. You don't really know. You know, or it could be super pure. I don't know. You know, you know, I, I, I like to think, I like to think that they're doing things ethically, and and and, 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 it, and it probably are. I just, you know, I, I, I always, you know, early on, I used to think of AG One as, as like a true competitor, and then someone pulled me aside, very smart lady, and she goes, "They're not a competitor. She's like, they're a supplement. They're like, yeah. they're not gonna, they're not, they're not food." Nobody's drinking that because they want to feel full. They're drinking it because they're desperate because they're like, 
I want to get all this stuff in in one drink, and then I can eat cheeseburgers, French fries, and hamburgers all day. I'm like, you know, it's it is a, it is really like, and I think it's a broader thing that always blows my mind too is like, you'll never see in our marketing, Rob, where we say like, drink this smoothie. You don't need to touch fruits and vegetables all day because, yeah, you know, our marketing firm uh, tried to say that in an ad, and I was like, kind of lost my shit because I go, you can't say that. Like, I don't want to be there. like you can't eat enough fruits and vegetables. Like I am never going to tell you like drink this, don't eat fruits. And vegetables. Like, mm-hmm. So when people say that to me, like, dude, like just chill out. Although I will say one, one funny one, you know, the company that's fun to pick on is balance of nature. Cause mm-hmm. if you look at their, if you look at their fruit pills that they say are like super healthy and you're going to stop having bad behavior, um, <laughs> their, their fruit capsules are, you know, as long as I read their nutrition label correctly, um, it's like one thirty second of a cup of fruit is what they're saying is going to cure you, which blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Also, any kind of system, I'm looking at their site now, that charges a one-time member fee anytime you want to get a subscription is already sketched. Like, I feel like I'm buying into, like, a neutral life, Herbalife. (laughs) Some kind of, like, pyramid scheme-y feeling um, system. Right? Because, like... You you have to have gotten sucked into a pyramid scheme at one point. Come on. Who hasn't? I'm sure I did in college or, or something like that. You know, like I think there's a couple organizations I joined that were like pyramid schemes, but like at the end of the day, I mean, what I really just care about is like feeling good. And I think that that's why I like your product. Cause you're, you're not just encouraging cause, cause you're not, you're, you're not saying this is nutritional insurance, but you're saying it's like, this is just a delicious way to get some of the things you should be eating anyways. And like, I'm a big believer that if you give people something healthy and they like the way it tastes, they're going to keep going down that healthy rabbit hole they're not going to say wow this this smoothie is fantastic i want a cheeseburger and fries from mcdonald's they're gonna be like wow this tastes fantastic i feel amazing i want to eat more stuff like this you know um yeah you, you know i i think that's like that's a fun part and i think you asked me this maybe we're out park city but it's the, the most fun about with the whole switchback journey has been yeah. having people reach out and go like man i've been drinking these things for 30 days and I feel better and I like, you know, I'm, I'm making better decisions because I'm drinking these, I'm, I'm doing this. So like, and that's really, that's, that's what food should be. Food should be enjoyable, but it should also be functional. And so sure. we, we, we cross that boundary, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. There's, there's so many cool food products in the market too. And I mean, I'm, I'm always amazed at how many new food products every day are coming on the market and how many of them are, you know, quite frankly, really good. It's just the big food companies and eh, they just want to cheap, 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 which I guess, you know, let me, let me ask you a question. The print, you know, price matters to everybody when they're shopping. It is important, mm-hmm. but yeah. Like, do you put a, do you, how much do you think about cost when it comes to healthy food versus cost when it comes to junk food? So, so I, I will say that like, I am a privileged individual that, you know, makes good salary and also grew up in a household where healthy food is prioritized over junk food. Like my parents didn't ever stock like junk food ever. So I always have a predisposition to it. I also like love a good, like I'm at CVS checkout, like Ooh, a bag of Skittles sounds great, but like, you know, like I'll always prioritize the healthy food, but no, like I would spend my last cent buying the more expensive food because I think it's better for me right you know and like i value life longevity and how you feel you know like 
some days I'll like, especially if you're at a conference with really like not bad tasting food, but like just unhealthy food. And you eat that for three meals in the day. But at the end of the day, you feel awful. You're like bloated and gassy. And all you want to do is like go to bed. You don't feel like working out. You don't feel like walking. You just want to be sedentary, you know? And like, I went to Costco today. Cause like I go to Costco to buy, like, at least here in Seattle, the Costco has a lot of like organic fruit and vegetables and I get my beef there and I get my cheese there and I get my salmon there. Cause it's just like, it's, it's all get it's all pulled locally and it's cheaper than anywhere else. But like, I also think about what I'm buying. Like I want the beef to be grass fed. Like I want the vegetables to be organic. Right. I want X, Y, Z. The amount of people in there that will just load their cart up with like the most processed mega American death packs of shit, you know, like 96 bags of cheeses or like 210 Jimmy John sausage patties. Like who, who needs this, you know? And like the scary thing about me is like, you go into the freezer section nowadays, which is the frozen food is the scariest to me always. Um, and you look at like a Jimmy, like not Jimmy John's, but like whatever the, 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 the Jimmy uh, Dean, Jimmy Dean, there it is. Yeah. Jimmy Dean sausage patties. And like, in my mind, a sausage patty should have one ingredient. It's like, if it's a pork sausage, it's going to have pork. If chicken's going to have chicken. And like the casing for the pork sausage can be actually made from the pork as well. Right. So it should just be pork is the ingredient. Yep. But you'll look at this, like, you know, United Nations level country list of ingredients to make this one patty of pork. And you're like, is this really cheaper than just using pork? Like, that's that's the thing. Is I, I think that the way that the system's been set up in America, and I hope this all comes crashing down, is that there have been so many there are so many processes nowadays that are that were originally made to make food cheaper and and last longer and be easier to make because that's what it was a long time ago but what we know now i'm pretty sure it'd be cheaper just to use the most simple thing like i feel like if i were to ask you and say you know Oli, i, I want you to add preservatives and you know add some other things to uh, like ch- change the flavor of your powder it would make it more expensive like it would absolutely make it more expensive so like it would literally be harder and more expensive for you to make it more complex or fake Right. And that's where I hope things go is the, 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 the de- de-escalation of that, you know, the, the simplicity of food. I mean, I, I agree that I think the only argument I can ever see towards like the preservative side of things hmm. is the longevity of food and, mm-hmm. and trying to like, I, I understand it from the preserve, like was trying to eliminate food waste, mm-hmm. but do we really need food that is like, you know, so our, our food is all freeze dried and that's, that's the only processing step with a two year shelf life, which you could do cause you take out all the moisture, but mm-hmm. you look at a lot of these other foods and you're like, do I really need a 26 month shelf life on a, a bag of chips or cookies or soda? Like it's really, I think that's kind of the crazy part is like, we've just gotten so spoiled in how long food can last. Mm-hmm. And it's not realistic. Yeah. No, it, 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 it isn't. I mean, I go, you've probably been to Europe. I mean, yeah, you know, walk through the European grocery stores. There's a lot less ingredients in a lot of their items, and I mean now they pay more for their food. But it, it, I don't know. I, I'm optimistic that the younger generation too. And I, mean, I think that's one of the things I would say to anybody. I am blown away and humbled by how many, you know, 12 to 18 year old kids are laser focused on nutrition. Maybe it's because of athletics, or maybe it's just because they like their their knowledge at their fingertips. And I think it's so cool to see these young kids taking nutrition seriously like you know what like i'm gonna have a cookie i'm gonna have one cookie instead of seven i mean Mm -hmm. i I grew up playing hockey and i was really active but like man like did i need to eat three zebra cakes at lunch in high school like looking back on them like holy moly did i eat a lot of calories and zebra cakes for my three years of high school hockey yeah 
Well, I, I I think I think part of it is access information, and sadly, I think the other part of it is the amount of kids in this generation, so millennial or Gen Z, that have parents that suffer from obesity or some kind of disorder from eating, and they see their parents and the lifestyle they live, and they're like, I don't want to do that. Like, I think it's pretty common these days that like, if you see someone in the grocery store that's morbidly obese, someone that's like a large human being and is struggling to get around, their kids are either look fit and healthy or are the exact same. Yep. Right. It's it's never in between. It's it's never in between. And I and I, th- I think that speaks wonders because like, because of access to information, because they see the pain, the suffering their parents have gone through, and like I I have no people that are morbidly obese at age thirty, and the amount of health problems they have just from that is insane you know like it's 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 everything it's your joints it's your skin it's your hair it's your intestines it's your liver it's your kidneys it's your heart it's your lungs it's your bones respiratory it's everything everything hurts everything sucks you know and i you know i i, I don't think i've ever said this to you but i i think there's there's a shortage of two professions and they go hand in hand registered dietitians yeah. and psychologists and i think <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm fortunate enough to, to know a guy who started a huge eating disorder program in the state of Minnesota. And, and this guy, mm-hmm. he is one of the most amazing people you'll ever meet. And we were talking about one time, he goes, he goes look, he goes, obesity or anorexia is the same issue. He goes, it usually starts in the psychological. There's something that they're trying to fill this void and they need help. And if they can't get help, they like the food is the comfort. He's like, it's like an alcoholic. Like nobody, I don't think anybody sets out to be an alcoholic. But then all of a sudden, like, you just start drinking. You're like, oh, this makes me feel really good. The next morning, you feel like shit. And then it's this vicious cycle. And I think it's the same way with food. And a lot of that can be cured by by getting I, – I, I don't want to demean that. But, like, a lot of it can be cured by getting really good mental health and, like, working sure. through those problems so you're not yeah. – And I'm, I, I, Man, I'm as guilty of that at times, too. I mean, like, when I get super stressed out, I love – I love to eat a bunch of food, but then I'm something like, man, that was a stupid decision. Yeah. Um, but I'm the same. You know? So I'm I'm someone who I've you know I don't think I ever told you this, but I was bullied a lot growing up and had like no friends from like fifth grade to pretty much eleventh grade. And food was my crutch for that, and binge eating. Like I I binge ate so much, and like you know you know me like I don't think I'm anywhere close to being fat. Um, but I also work out a ton. And like when I'm having like a bad week or a bad day, like it still is recurring. And it wasn't until like really recently that I started to like take the psychologist approach to food and realize that like I am just eating because I feel like it is like a safety blanket net that I need when in reality I'd feel so much better if I just did did extra thing or eat that last thing or be like, Oh, this is the last time I'm going to ever eat Skittles. So I'm going to eat like a pound of Skittles. It's like, no, it's not healthy. You know, so man, back in the day when I used to, I used to be about 40 pounds heavier than I am. And I, I remember like so many times, like, I'm going to lose weight. And then like the day before you're going to lose weight, you eat like 7,000 oh, calories. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Calories. But you know, I, I, I agree. With you. I, I think there's, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And, you know, I, I, I sincerely wish anybody with, with, you know, any mental health issue could help find, proper treatment or the proper network of people to help because i think like i mean look at alcohol addiction drug addiction all those i mean pretty much all of them stem from the same same issue and then that issue just compounds itself because right like like you said you know if i mean i was i was bullied a fair amount in when we 
move from one town to another. And I mean, same thing. I mean, I food was comfort. I'd get home from school and I would crush four or five Mountain Dews and a bag of Cheetos because it made me feel like it, it was like I I calmed down and I mean it was it was really bad. But I look at it with alcohol too. I mean, how many people like how many times you hear the person like, oh man, I'm so stressed out. Like, ah, oh, I had such a bad day. I'm gonna have two glasses of wine. Like that is the worst thing you can like. I'm not like I don't care if you want to drink, but dude, like if you are, are facing serious problems, don't pick up drugs or alcohol. Like face those problems head on, solve those, mm-hmm. and then carry on. So like, I it, I always it always pains me when you hear the person's like, oh man, such a long day. I need to have two glasses of wine. I'm like, no, maybe like you should do some yoga and reflect or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, my my big thing is is. Uh... So, so two points in that is sometimes you're just hungry. All you want is water. I learned that like half the time. It's just like, if I'm actually hungry, I just like drink a cup of water. And I'm like, no, I'm, I just want something in my stomach, you know, or seltzer water is like a good hack for that. If you want something that feels like, um, but secondarily, something you mentioned about like binging the last day before you start like a new diet. But the problem is, is like two days later, you could be like, oh, I'm going to start tomorrow and I'm going to get that binge day again. And then like, you find yourself like three or four days a week doing that binge day, you know? And, and then that, that's, that's a bad cycle. I've gotten that before. Um, so you well, just keep convincing yourself like tomorrow will be better, you know? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to make better choices tomorrow. Well, the choices don't like, I mean, for me, I mean, you put a donut in front of me and I'm probably not going to say no. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I've had plenty of those days where you, you wake up, you got the best of intentions and the day gets derailed because you made like one, one bad decision with your food in the morning. Like, Oh wait, I just had a 900 calorie cinnamon roll. Oh, the day's derailed. I may as well have that cheeseburger for lunch or the, the sesame chicken for dinner. Like mm-hmm. you start adding that up. I mean, it's, it's actually, I think it's one of the things that shocked me too. Is like, once you, if you actually look at how many calories you consume, it's astonishing to me how many calories you can consume in a, in a day, like just standard eating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, so like I, I track calories only just to make sure like, I do it purely from a, like, I want to know what nutrients put in my body and also I can balance it. But also because sometimes like it's really hard to keep track of every single food you're eating and what it adds to your kind of plate. And I yeah. know like if I'm having, if I'm training and having a good day, like I know where I need to hit like protein wise and fat wise carbs to me is like the big could swing up and down. Like I can, I can be fine on 30 grams of carbs or 200 grams of carbs. But as long as I hit my protein and fat goals, I've learned that I'm pretty good. So let me ask a question about your bullying. What's one advice you'd give someone that's being that, that is either being bullied or has been bullied and, and is struggling with it? So those are different answers. So being bullied actively, this is the thing I, I talked I was at in my leadership outside of that last week. I, I gave a big speech about how like bullying made me who I am basically. Because at, from being bullied, I basically learned to not rely on anyone and not rely on society to confirm who I was and basically realize that like most people are just sheep and going to constantly just you know, want to pick on someone to ignore their own problems. Um, so the biggest advice I have to anyone being bullied actively is just pay them no attention, right? Like if, if, if he, I learned the long and hard way that if I just stopped glorifying what was happening to me, it would have stopped a lot faster, you know? Because the second you're like getting beat up on and you make a big deal about it or you tell someone about it or, or like God forbid you tell the teacher it was happening, like, they're just going to, it's going to make it worse, you know, versus like if you get picked on, you kind of ignore them. It gets pretty boring pretty fast. Right. Um, and then secondarily, like off that is like people bully in my mind because 
they were either bullied themselves or because they are jealous or insecure about something you do or have. Right. Um, for me, I was overweight. So that there was some of that with people were, you know, insecure about weight. And I went to a, you know, a school in a rich district. So people were like fitter and played sports and, you know, all that jazz. But I think more because like I was a, I was a smart kid. I was the smartest, one of the smartest in my class and I always did super well. And I think people get jealous of that, especially in a society like a rich and wealthy town where like people are driven by grades and what college you go to and things like that. Like it's, it's an easy pick thing to pick. And the biggest thing is like, I was a weird kid. Like I weird, I like things that people didn't like, you know, like I was wearing, you know, dress shoes some days and pink shirts and, you know, um, I love Star Wars. I love Legos until I was in high school and I still do. Like it's like, it doesn't mean I'm any less of a human being. And I said to people who have been bullied, like, I, I think forgiving, I'm a big believer in forgiveness, right? Like I, I believe that everyone is capable of forgiveness. And I think that like, you know, not to, not to, I think Ted Lasso nailed this in their you know, season finale or series finale of this idea of like forgiveness is about you and not about the person that you're forgiving. Right. It's like giving yourself permission to let go yeah. of what happened. Right. So right. I think that's big for me. It's like, I, when I forgive someone, I'm letting myself go of that weight and that responsibility to hate them or worry about it or hold it against them and just moving on with my life. Um, it's nothing to do with them. I think that's the big thing. If that makes sense. If that answered your question. That, that makes a tremendous amount of sense. That was an awesome answer. And you need to get that out there in the world more because a lot of, lot, lot of kids, a lot of adults that could, you, could hear that, whether it be a coworker, boss, teacher, yeah. peer, whatever. I mean, that's, that's the nasty thing I think about society right now is it's so easy to bully yeah. someone else. And, you know, I, like, like you said, I mean, I, I always, I've always struggled with that whole concept of like, let's go bully someone else. Cause we're really insecure with myself or like, sure. I'm and like, and, and part of it, like the whole, you know, when you talk about like resentments too, right? Like some of these kids too. And I, I think it like goes with the forgiveness of some of these kids probably come from or, or, or adults, like their background they they could just be so unhappy. They're treated so miserably, yeah. and it's it's their outlet. And I think uh, the book The Four Agreements nails it. Like there's mm -hmm. white magic and there's dark magic, and you can use one or the other with your spoken word. And unfortunately, a lot of people choose to use that black magic. And I, we gotta stop glorifying these idiots that love to make fun of people. Yeah, I mean, so so there's like a there's like a making fun of people in like a good comedy special kind of way, and there's like a making fun of people with malice and intent. I think there's a fine line between those two things, right? Right. Um, like the way Dave Chappelle might make fun of someone is not the same way that like, you know, the hotshot at an office might make fun of someone else to kind of view be viewed better by their coworkers. If that makes does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I I think comedy is released for everyone. Like if you like can't make fun of yourself, then like. You know, what are you doing? I think also the best comedy starts with a seed of truth and just goes a completely different direction. Like every good conspiracy theory, right? There's like a seed <laughs> of truth in there, but everything else is wrong. You know, like Area 51 is one of my favorites. It's like, is it a, a place that most people in the world have zero access to? Yes. Is there some stuff that we don't know what it is? Yes. Is it a breeding ground for alien technology? Maybe, but probably not. You know, could be. Do I think there's some kind of alien remains or some alien thing there? I mean, it'd be if, if, it, if it's the true historical deep secret confidential archive of the united states it'd be silly to assume there's zero alien things in there. because like there are alien dna found on other planets so that's not hard and but, but but the aliens people think of are like the movie alien but i'm thinking of like bacteria like that could be alien 
you know, and it doesn't have to be something that's like a sci-fi in order for it to be weird or crazy or top secret, you know, because it could be something that could kill it pretty quickly. You know, I I, I asked someone this in the golf course today. I'm like, if, if aliens are real, which mm-hmm. guarantee there are some, there's life form out there. For sure. And they just came to Earth and they saw guys like myself playing golf. And they look at me and go, you guys are the dumbest mother effers in the world. Like, this is the <laughs> dumb- what are you doing with your time? Yeah. Um, so... Here, here's my take. Golf's a great example. So in my mind, the meaning of life is to do things for the sake of doing it. I think people play golf for many reasons, but I think it's one of those sports that requires so much time and energy that at the end of the day, you have to do it for the sake of itself. You, you do it because you love playing golf, right? And I think that it's that love and joy of things that don't make sense that allows species to propagate beyond and potentially get to a place where they could, you know, travel between stars and meet other life forms, Right. Um, like SpaceX, for example, is like, there is a very strong human and science argument for SpaceX, but at the end of the day, like those people involved just think rockets are fucking cool and going to space is awesome. Right. Um, y- y- did you see the point I'm making? Like, I, I think that like, absolutely. Yeah. So like this, I think the species that have the highest potential to move on and see the, see the solar system or see the universe are the ones that also get a kick out of a couple things. You know, so I, I think that like the I, I would hope people were fascinated like, oh, in our world, we play Blorg's ball and this is how it goes. You know, and to you, that might be like, that's weird, but people enjoy it. You know, like when you think about the game of golf in like a first principles way, it makes zero fucking sense. Like, but it's still a beautiful game, you know, um, just like cricket. I mean, like, like if you spend time understanding cricket and you can enjoy watching cricket, it's the same thing as golf. Like, it's just like it's something that's highly intricate and has a rabid following. Most people look at it and go, eh. you know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. With you. I, I I think at golf, it's like uh, it's a it's a drug, right? Yeah. You go out there and you play like crap, and like you're chasing that one good shot, right? You yeah. come back, you hit one really good drive, and like man, I can't wait to play next time. I'm gonna hit I'm gonna hit 14 of those. You go you hit zero, but you hit one good chip shot, and you're like oh, I can't wait to come out. But I'm like it's it's a uh, it's strange, but it, you're right, man. I think. I, I think if more people can find the joy and happiness and just, I guess like the unknown and just do things for the sake of doing them because it brings them joy. Yeah. 100% of it. I, I, I was leaving a small town in Southwestern Minnesota one time and you know, I'm, I'm in a sport jacket slacks driving home in a hurry and driving to this small town and there's overgrown weeds and, you know, a dilapidated house and there's a, there's a blow up pool in the front yard and, kids splashing in the blow-up pool and i slowed down and you know mom and dad are sitting there and and both of them are very overweight both of them look like they might be drinking a beer and there's just smiles all around and i'm like what do yeah. those people know like they have you know in the grand scheme of things they have nothing compared to what i have in my life mm-hmm. but they're like they're happy and i'm just like stressed out i'm worried about getting you know getting my next you know client whatever like I think that was kind of a, an awakening. I've used an example a lot in my life. Like, man, if you if you can't just find the joy in the simple things. Oh, for sure. There's no point. No, it's tough. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, something I think about a lot is like some of my most privileged friends and people I work with are the most tortured souls, right? And it's like, I and I've met people through my travels in Africa and Asia and South America and even in this own country where like they have barely anything and they're some of the happiest fucking people you'll meet, you know. So, it's it, it, isn't it wild? Like everybody thinks, and I mean, I I was a victim of that early on in my my career of 
I think everyone. Oh is. man, if, if I could, if I could make a lot of money, I'd be so happy. But like, I think it's like it's more stressful, and then you know people people you, which is a whole other thing. It's like you think like, oh, if I have more money, people are gonna think I'm really cool. But like nobody actually cares about you. I mean, yeah. in a sense of like, I've never had somebody be like, oh wow, you wear a Garmin watch, you are so cool, man. Like I just want to be your best friend. Like, it doesn't happen. Like it, yeah. it, you know, people might hey, that's whatever, but. I just think it's a funny thing of how we, yeah. we get so hung up in other people's perspectives that we lose focus of the fact that like we're, we're, we're really, everybody's really cool unto themselves. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think the, the, the watch example is, is good. It's like you wear a Garmin, I wear an Apple watch, both our watches cost less than a thousand dollars. Many people I know that wear a Rolly because they think it makes them look cooler. It's like, you know, that watch has to be reset every year because it runs five minute fast and you're wearing it because you think other people like, Here's the thing. It's like the only there are certain cars where the only people think it's cool are the people that also own that car. Rolex is the same thing. The people think Rolexes are cool are people who think expensive things are cool or also own Rolexes, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I I I think it's really funny. Like a Rolex is a beautiful timepiece. You got the money and you can afford it. Great, but Go for it. it, it makes you it, happy. It, but yeah, it's 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 a standard issue. Uh, middle-aged white man watch i feel like mm-hmm. like yeah. oh you, you you just get your bonus mm-hmm. we'll go get that rolex and i mean yeah. I've, I've, I've never i've never bought anything from anybody because of the watch or the car they wear i'm like i just want to hang out with cool people and hear good stories i mean i i, I that is the most fun in life mm-hmm. is just hearing random stories from people For sure yeah i mean but also i met people who are like i wear this exact rolex because my dad had one and my grandfather yes was great and like i i like i'll appreciate that it's just like me like you know, I'll wear, I think it happens the most with, it's like, I have the highest on Apple watch. And I'm also wearing these, like, I'm a big Apple guy and I'm wearing these Apple headphones as well. Um, people are like, Oh, you get that to show off. I'm like, no, because for like my listening style of music and the way I li- consume music and how often I listen to it, like these are well worth the money. And I would buy a couple of them if I could, or I probably would, you know, like it's worth it to me, if that makes sense. And I've tried yeah, but- like the Bose and the Sony and all their brands. Like this one works best for me. It just happens to be Apple, you know? I, I'm going to tell you, like, I, Apple, I've got a love-hate relationship. With we talked and, about this, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like, rocking a MacBook, got an iPad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. I, I bought the Bose 700 long before Apple came out with those headphones. Mm-hmm. But I was, it was interesting. Like, somehow the other day, like, I, I don't know, like, something popped up on Google, and it was, like, comparing the Bose 700s versus those headphones. I was actually blown away at how much better the noise cancellation and the microphone is on those over the Bose, and like I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a Bose junkie. Like I, I think they make great mm-hmm. like, I was because that was like five hundred dollars for headphones. Like what's Apple doing? You know the mic quality on those things is absolutely incredible. Yeah. So the actually the funny thing is, if I were to make a comparison for you, I think the mic quality is actually the worst thing about them. Like I think they could do so much better with that because like compared to if you look at like mic quality to me is like a, like a three out of 10, but like sound quality, like how it feels when they're on your head. Like also like there, there is, I think some people buy Rolex is because of the craftsmanship. And that's how I feel about some Apple products, right? It's like on a phone, for example, like, I mean, Samsung also makes nice feeling and nice looking phones, but I feel like with an iPhone, like, and this is like the Steve jobs, Apple design team. Uh, and I have friends on there that talk, we talk about this. It's like, you want to fe- make it feel like it's something special. Right. It needs to feel like, cause you're like my phone's in my hand hundreds of times a day, every single day of the year. Right. 
So it needs to be something that feels good. That's why I never use a case because like this isn't designed to use a case. And if I end up breaking it or dropping it, like whatever, I'll, I'll get it fixed. But usually it's fine. Knock on, I don't even believe in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's also the ecosystem is huge. Being able to have these headphones on, have my iPad here, my MacBook here, my phone here. And if someone calls me my phone, I can answer with this. And if I, a video comes up here or I'm using it there and it just it just naturally fluidly switches between. I have to click a button, it just knows. It just does. And that to me is, is that's like, okay, I'll pay for that, you know? Um, and then when you add the fact that it's like, these are the most disturbingly comfy because most noise canceling headphones like press inward on your ears to like yep. hold in more of the sound. And these just sit so nicely and so comfortably. And like knowing Apple, unlike Apple, like you can actually replace these ear cups, which is nice. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I know I'm going on a tangent, but <laughs> my big thing is I just want people to, I have no problem if people buy expensive things. I buy many expensive things, but I have a reason for buying every single one of them is because of materials or a story or the craftsmanship or the purpose it creates, right? And I'm the kind of person that like, I'll wear headphones six to 12 hours a day, especially travel days might be on my head all day. So like, will I spend the extra couple hundred bucks on the nicer pair that is going to last a couple of years and always work? Absolutely. Like who would, you know, um, I always... My, my biggest my biggest pet peeves is that when people buy cheap versions of the things they use the most and get mad when they break right oh. it's like it's like if, if you are a if you were someone who is a contractor and you buy the cheapest possible truck and it can't carry with the tools you need and it can't get you where you need to go and it's always breaking down because you're not you're using something beyond its its utility you can't get mad at the truck company for that you just made a stupid decision right I think that's an analogy for a lot of life I, I no, I, I would agree with you 100%. I think <clears throat> buying expensive things doesn't isn't bad. I think it's like you have to buy quality products, otherwise you're just adding stuff to the the waste stream. And I think about it like, and this this is a massive pet peeve for me, is you know all these corporations talk about waste and you know you know environment, but yeah, they're handing out trinkets and trash at every event. That costs nothing, made made overseas, flown in, and, they're all and it ends up in the landfill. Like, yeah. have you ever? I mean, honestly, like anything under I don't know, let's call it fifty bucks from an event that was a corporate swag item. Do you still have it, or is it in a landfill? It's probably in a landfill, and it just actually it blows my mind. So the one piece of corporate swag is actually at our event that I will always hold on to is anything Yeti branded, like those Yeti oh. mugs, those Yeti cups, like. Those are great. And those are under 50 bucks most of the time. Um, yeah, big, big but that's, that, that's the that exception, well. not the norm, right? That's the exception. Yeah. Right. So, so at the event that Oli and I were at, they had uh, little 12 ounce tumbler cups and there was hundreds of them. They like take as many as you want. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take like, <laughs> I took, I took two because everyone already grabbed it, but I'm sure people from that event like, had like, have like six to eight Yeti tumblers now. <laughs> um, and I don't blame them. Like those are $20 tumblers, right? Um, but li literally everything else, like it was interesting. And I think this is a good example. Like they had the swag wall and there was the Yeti tumblers and there was other metal water bottles and flashlights and first aid kits and a bunch of other swag. Yetis were blown out. Everything else had so much left. And they asked me, they're like, do you want to take anything? You could take as much as you want. And I was like, are there any Yetis left? They're like, no, we, we get rid of those. They're, they're all gone. I was like, cool. I don't want anything else. I don't, I don't need a cheap, you know, Alibaba, uh, first aid kit with a logo on it. I don't need a water bottle that's going to dent in two seconds that has like terrible chemical lining. Like I don't need any of those things. I just want, I, I want something that's going to last. And so like, you know, I think my biggest category that is 
different from people my age in this is furniture. Like I'll spend an atrocious amount of money on a bed frame or a couch. My friends are like, how can you do that? But also like in 40 years and they're like, Hey, I remember that piece of furniture you bought that still looks fucking great. It's like, yeah, I didn't buy the $8,000 Ikea couches. I bought the one $8,000 Herman Miller couch, you know? Isn't it funny though? Like your parents probably still have furniture. I'm I'm sure my, uh, I know my parents have furniture from 25, 30 years ago. How many kids from our generation are going to have furniture from when they first got married? somebody like Less than 10%. It's, it, i mean most of it's just yeah. cheap junk that's ir, you know irreplaceable or mm-hmm. clearly replaceable excuse me yeah so i mean i think i was social socialized everything because i grew up in massachusetts my town was formed in 1628 right so like a solid almost 150 years before the country was formed so like there were pieces of furniture including my bed frame including my dresser i grew up with including our dining room table that were like more than 100 years old but still worked perfectly well and they were awesome and they looked good and they smelled good, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope, I think that society is getting back to this idea of like high quality craftsmanship. That's where the magazine came from, right? You, you've, you have a couple copies, you played with it. It's just like, I could have done that as cheaply as possible and given it away and made a ton of money on it. But that to me, it wouldn't be worth doing. Right. So I mean, th- th- that, that magazine is stunning. And I, I have one of my desk at the office and, one of my desks at home and I sit there I like I'll page through it if I'm if I need a couple minute break I'll page through it I'm like it's it's incredible you're you're right I mean the the art of craftsmanship mm-hmm. has disappeared in so many different aspects of American life of like well, let's get it as cheap as we can so we can go get it in fact I, there's a book and it was you know it's a, it's a little it's a little out there for me but it's pretty interesting called the called affluenza mm-hmm. and I wouldn't recommend it because it's kind of a painful book to read but it was good it was just all about like you know we, we have affluence in america like we have to go out there and buy the next thing to, to show everybody oh look at me i'm really successful mm-hmm. and it's it's really an interesting thing to me to see because for sure yeah you know, how much money do we waste and like i don't know like I, i've done it too like oh i'm gonna go buy this because it's brand new or it just came out mm-hmm. and then six months later you're sitting like i don't want this anymore yeah like i just wasted that, all this money yeah. And the sad thing is also like shit talks and money, uh, sorry, shit walks and money takes the bus, right? Um, <laughs> so I had someone on the podcast recently, I won't, obviously I can't name names, but we were talking and, he, and they're a huge and like environmentally driven person. And I went on a fucking diatribe against Zara and H&M and other fast fashion houses that like make these clothing that's pu- pushing microplastics into our, into our water and last eight washes and it's just driving this culture. And I actually got a call from one of their publicists afterwards and I had to remove that part because they had just signed a contract with Zara. And I was <laughs> like, you can't claim you're this like driven environmentalist and then go take, you know, seven figures from one of the worst polluting companies in the world. I'm sorry. You know, um, I took it out, out of respect, brand? but sorry, Zara is an you- Italian H&M as well. Let me see Zara. Zara founder. I'm pretty sure it's Italian. Zara. Uh, and Mancino Ortega, that's definitely an Italian name. Oh, Spanish name. Oops, okay. Ortega. Yeah, Spanish, that makes sense. And then H&M Erling Person. That sounds oh, Swedish. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, look, a lot of these companies started by making good gear and they just kind of went a whole different direction. And I think that, like, there is a utility sometimes to having those. Like, if you need something last minute, but, like, 
everything I've ever bought from Uniqlo, H&M, or Zara at any point in time years ago. And I made I made a vow against fast fashion probably uh, three or four years ago now. Because, um, like, that's my thing. Like, I don't need that many ties or bow ties. I need, like, one good formal tie and one good formal bow tie. So, like, I'll go to Hermes and get a proper tie. They're 200 bucks each. But those things will literally last me my entire life. Like, I'll never have to buy a single one again. And they'll look good every single time. And they're timeless looking. Like, what else do you want? Right? That's my whole thing. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, you, you look at like, as, as I said, somewhere, some Fiori shorts. Yeah. Like, you know, I think I bought these things like four years ago and they've held up incredibly well. Like, for sure. There's certain things that, that make sense. And there's plenty of expensive items that fall apart in like four yeah. days. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it's, that, that's a, that's a whole topic we could talk about for days on a podcast about just kind of the, the, the state of, society and the, the consumption and the, and the waste and you know i'm gonna go uh, i want that shirt i'm gonna wear it once and i'm gonna throw it out in fact one of my favorite things i i, I bought a sport coat that was used this is like i don't know, it was probably like five years ago and there was a great used used clothing shop in in town and uh some young guys ran it really cool place so i walk in i saw this, saw this sport check like, i love this thing he's like it's 295 bucks i'm like I mean, two ninety five. Like, so I was like, "How much was this thing originally?" The guy's like, "Oh, he was probably around five thousand. I'm like, "What? What?" He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "The guy that brought it in, he wore it once." Hmm. And I'm like, "You wore a five thousand? Like, what? Like, and at least it's like recycled in some way. Like, it's in my closet, but now it's not going to be touched because I got to wear t-shirts and shorts and joggers into the office every day." You'll, you'll find it. You'll find it. That's my thing. It's like, so I'm a big believer. So I think I should this in the show, but uh, Arcteryx, the street rebrand valence makes up the majority of my closet because like I've added a couple pieces, like a, maybe one or two shirts and one or two pants or like something cool, like one of their weird sweaters or like one of their actual blazers. They make suits too. And like, I still have all of it, you know, like nothing is new. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Like, and if, if it breaks, you just send it in and they repair it for free. Or if it's really, if really broken, they upcycle it and then they send you a new one. And that's like, that's the kind of company I want. You know, I think that's the future we're heading towards. Um, well, actually, it's not. We, we talked about that with like, I, I love the Norwegian brand Nerona and I'm mm-hmm. like, same thing. I mean, I, I love the fact that if something breaks, you can send it in, they'll repair it. They're great customer service. They care about longevity of their products. Uh, I, I, I think that's something that, more companies are now going to focus on and rightfully so of, you know, we, we don't want you throwing out our gear. Like, I mean, I love Patagonia from that perspective of, mm-hmm. you know, they're saying like, Hey, if that jacket has a hole in it, send it in. You know, even if you're not going to, even if we can't fix it, like we'll patch it up and sell it to someone. One. Yeah. I mean, someone will always yeah, it for sure. It, 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 it makes it, makes it really nice, but I, yeah, that, that, that type of stuff gives me a lot of hope for the next, 30, 40 years in America where you got more companies now focused on actually doing the right thing when it comes to warranties and that type of stuff. And not just from a marketing plan perspective, you know, because like a lot of companies use environmental adjusted goals as marketing tools and not actual company goals. That makes sense. Absolutely. So cool. Um, Just one thing that I know we didn't really talk about earlier and I know you have a, a time deadline coming up. Um, is uh we were talking about addiction and you mentioned to me um that you were sober is there is there like a, a reason that you decided to 
you know, take that leap and make that choice or. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, it was, you know, it was what, September 2nd, 2018. And my wife said to me in the morning, she's like, either you're going to kill yourself or you're going to kill someone else. And, um, she was spot on. I, you know, found alcohol, not young. I mean, I never drank in high school, but that was, I, I had a love hate relationship with it. And so most of my, well, my entire adult life up until five years ago, it was, um, pretty much all consuming. I wasn't a guy that could have one drink. I mean, if I had one, I was going to have six or seven and in it got to the point where I was drinking, you know, five, six days a week and would stay up later than everybody else. And the, the big thing for me is, you know, right. Alcohol is a depressant. So I'd get incredibly depressed and I, I was never violent. I was never angry with other people, but I would just, I would hate myself. And mm-hmm. so I get really depressed, really dark thoughts. And thankfully, you know, my wife pointed that out to me and helped me realize that I had a problem. And yeah, I mean, September will be five years of sobriety, which quite frankly, I mean, I, I would, I'm bluntly speaking, there's no way in hell switchback would be even a realm of possibility mm-hmm. or I would have made it at my last job as long as I did. I mean, I was bad things would have happened. And so yeah. I tell anybody else, like, if you're, if you're contemplating sobriety, reach out to me on LinkedIn, call me. I will talk with anybody. I don't care if it's drugs, alcohol, whatever. I will talk with you about the benefits of, of getting the demons under control. So let me, you know, you asked me the same question about bullying. So I want to ask the same question about being sober. So like, I guess just someone who is struggling with substance abuse or, sub- or any kind of addiction, like what would your advice be to like, an, or, or, or a elevator pitch on why you should be sober? Cause there's sometimes the hardest people to convince, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you, if you'd asked me eight years ago, I'm like, ah, nah, I don't have a problem. Um, yeah. I, you know, I would, I, my, my elevator pitch to someone that's, that's got an addiction would be just go one day without it hmm. and let's have a conversation after one day. Yeah. And let's talk about how you feel. Let's talk about really how you feel. And if you're angry or you're pissed off or you want to, whatever, let's address, let, let's sit down and actually have a conversation about why you're feeling that way. Because once, once you, from my perspective, once you understand why you have problems, mm-hmm. you can address those. You can only address those problems with a clear state of mind. You right. can't address those problems. Alcohol is not going to fix a problem. Drugs aren't going to fix a problem. <laughs> Any addiction is not. The only thing that's going to fix a problem is actually understanding, like, why do I have this problem? And, mm-hmm. you know, in my case, like, a lot of my problems, they were brought on by me, entirely by me. So it's a weird thing to be like, yeah, like, uh, I have a problem and my problems are my problem. So yeah, I, I, I would tell anybody that's, that's struggling, like give it one day mm-hmm. and if you make it one day, give it two days. Yeah. And if you make it two and you go back to drinking, try it again, because it's not the easiest thing. And then I would also say, man, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't have alcohol, drugs, whatever in your system. You feel good. You wake up feeling great. Mm-hmm. You have more energy. Like I, I mean, I, I, I said this on on Sunday golfing. I looked at the guys around me. I'm like, you know, guys, if you offer me ten million dollars in cash right now to have to feel the way you guys do, 
there's no way in hell I'd take it. Like, I can't even imagine swinging a golf club with how bad of a headache these guys had to have after that much, that many cocktails that before. And I, I think that's a big thing of like, just go a couple days. Cause I, I know like it's addictive and it sucks you in, but yeah. you know what else is addictive feeling really good because you don't need substances to make you feel good. And I throw food in there too. So that was always my addiction as well. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's yeah. food or alcohol or drugs or spending money or anything. Like you just gotta get, try one day without it. And you'd be amazed how long you keep going. Well, um, I, 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 I think it, Rob, I think like the whole switchback, right? Like the whole, the whole concept, like there's a small and incremental change. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what your addiction, if you have an addiction, if you're trying to change your life, you're trying to become better. It's an incremental change. Nobody, like Tiger Woods didn't go from being, you know, five years old and be one of the best guys. Like he didn't start playing on the PGA Tour the next year, right? Like it's incremental change, incremental growth. And I think that's the thing, like we see all these flashes in the pan and we all want to be that person. But most of us will never be that person. I mean, I, I know I'm not, I'm nothing special. And so... It's small and incremental change is going to get you where you want to go, whether it be, you know, food, drinking, anything. Small changes make a huge impact over time. For sure. Yeah. It's like what James Clear and Atomic Habits, like 1% better every day at the end of the year. You know, you get significantly farther than you were the day one. You know? That's a phenomenal book. It is. Yeah. I, I, I gift the book a lot. Four hour week, I gift the most, but comic habits also that's the show notes um so in interest of time and you making sure you can hit your uh, 10 p.m ish bedtime um what uh because i don't want angry oli on, on the podcast uh oh, i won't be angry so, i'm having fun good um so i want to get you out of here on a few um rapid fire questions if you answer these in as, as many or a few words as you'd like um is is there something you believe in that most don't I think the list is probably too long to go down. I'm a weird person that believes a lot of weird conspiracy theories. So, Me too. Uh, um, gosh, that, 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 that's a really good question. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, the easiest way to sum it up is yes. I probably believe in a lot of stuff that other people don't believe in. And once had a great professor at the University of Minnesota that said the bigger the bigger the conspiracy theory, the more likely it is to be true because. Mm-hmm. That everybody's like, well, that can't happen. So, I love a good conspiracy theory. So we we can talk about those sometime. Agreed. That's let's do it. A whole separate podcast just about conspiracy <laughs> theories. We'll, I'll get on all the other guests that love conspiracy theories, and we'll just have a round table on. Yeah, good just and I'll, even and Yeah, and then also like uh, I just want you know subject matter experts on as well, so they can like confirm or deny certain tasks. Because like it's amazing how many times you get like a bunch of different subject matter experts and experts in rooms are asking conspiracy theories. They start going like. One person will try to give a reasoning why something isn't real. The other person will be like, but no, that's been disproven in this in this in the study. And people start quickly realizing they're like, Oh, wait, did we just did oh, maybe that maybe that is real. You know? And I think that's <laughs> there's something beautiful about that. Um do is there a story that and I feel like knowing your relationship with your dad, there's definitely a couple of these. Is there a story that your dad loves telling about you as a kid? Oh man, there's a lot of stories about me as a kid. I was, as you can probably tell, I'm not afraid to talk to people. So yeah. <laughs> nope. I, I, I would say, you know, my parents love to tell stories about how anywhere I go, I can run into someone I know typically. Yeah. And while I wasn't a kid, this is like seven or eight years ago, we were going fly fishing in Alaska. My dad was taking us up there and we're in the, I mean, in the middle of nowhere of Alaska, I mean, you could, you could go 80 miles, hundred miles in any direction. There's, 
25 people tops. And we're walking up this river, going to get lunch. And this guy standing there, he looks at me. He's like, Oli? I'm like, yeah. I forget the guy's name, but we, we had met like two weeks before at an outdoor store in Minnesota. And he was at, he was asking about rain jackets. I'm like, yeah, if you're going to the camp, I, you definitely want Gore-Tex, not just water resistant. And so my dad still to this day thinks it's hilarious that anywhere I go, I'm going to run into someone just because I, I talk to everybody. I'm, I'm not afraid of anybody. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. I, I also identify as someone that, that knows everyone. Um, it's, it's, it's much more fun that way. It's like my girlfriend, when we're like, traveling around i'll like start talking to someone random and then like five minutes later we're exchanging business ideas and like someone i'm going to work with in the month and she thinks it's like she's always looks at me like how, how do you do that i was like i don't I, I just find other people interesting that's it something nothing really more than that you know you know what i i think that's that's the coolest part like that's that's a gift and i wish more people were that way like i don't know you, you ever stand in line at the airport and you start talking to someone you start making like small talk and they just like yeah they don't know how to talk to you. You're like, oh, this is going to be an awkward next 10 minutes. Yeah, but I've never had that problem. I just, I, I think, I think the superpower, and I think you have this too, is like, even if someone's awkward, you get someone out of that bubble. And I, it's like a challenge to me, like get them to feel comfortable yeah. to talk to me. And then the best thing is someone's like, I just never talk to people like this. And I'm so glad we talked. You know, it's like, that's like a, yes. You know, it's an ego thing, of course, but uh, definitely. <laughs> yes. Um, if you could send a single push notification to everyone's phone in a given area, where would it be? And what would it say? I don't know how you, I don't know what area I'd choose, but it'd probably say get outside. Love that. And yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, I, there's, there's you and I share a love for the outdoors. Mm-hmm. there's so many amazing things you get outside you see the world is so much bigger than you you see some gnarly scenery yeah get outside i love that i agree 100 percent um and last uh assuming that your kids have kids what what is some advice you'd like to impart to your grandchildren's generation probably the same advice that my my dad said to us years ago you know 90% of the job is just showing up because your generation doesn't want to work, um, mm. which, you know, I think millennials get a little bit of bad rap, but I, I would agree. There's a lot of just laziness. So 90% of, of it showing up. I think the big piece to me is like manners will never die. Yeah. And I, I want my kids and my grandkids to understand that, that, you know, society is always going to change. It's always going to evolve, but manners are always respected. Mm. Yeah. There's, you know, take care of those people around you. And and when when nobody's looking, reach out to that person that's struggling. Reach out to the person that needs help. Reach out, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it might be. But manners, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing I always tell people is, like, one of my biggest red flags when I used to date around a lot, especially in New York City, is, like, I'd be on a date. Someone would be, like, rude to the waiter. And I'm, like, it's, like, to me, it's, like, an automatic kill like killer like i'm not interested anymore you know i don't care how hot they are it's like mm. it's like you just got to respect people that are helping you i can't fathom being rude to a, like just being an asshole to a waiter or waitress yeah. like you see it all the time you know it's it it goes back to that bullying like what's going on in your mind that you like this person's trying to make your day better and you're just being mean and this doesn't make sense to me yeah. I mean, even when I've had some pretty awful waiters and they fucked up my food poorly, it's just like, 
the difference between being rude and trying to fix the situation and you could do it in a nice way be like hey i'm sorry i didn't order this or hey this is the way i wanted it or like hey this doesn't taste very good but like you don't have to be a dick about it you know so and also usually if you're nice about it they usually don't charge you for it as well <laughs> like that's that's the second thing is like being nice <laughs> oh like like for example i was uh my offsite was at snowbird uh utah the ski resort in utah and um and I went to the store there and was buying some swag for the undergraduates of my group just so they could take something home. Uh, cause most of them don't have very much money there in college. And uh, I like, you know, he, we were talking, he rung up my card and everything. And then he read, and then, and then like, I, I was like, great. Have a nice day. Walked away, looked at my phone. Cause my Amex like pings you never a charge is made. And I was thinking, I was like, well, I, I think I bought like 200 bucks worth of stuff. And he only charged me like $114. So I walked back in. I was like, dude, I think you undercharged me. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure I didn't. And I like walked him through like all the different things and how much it should cost. And he's like, interesting. He's like, well, I mean, I appreciate you coming back in, but like just view it as a discount. Like I, 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 most people wouldn't even turn around. And I was like, yeah, but like, I feel bad, you know, like I, I, you know, even though it's crazy overpriced at a ski resort, like I believe that you should pay for the things you want, you know, that's just, people aren't, don't do that anymore. Sadly though. People are like, oh, sick. They mischarged me. Like I'm going to go take advantage of it, you know? Um, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that, that, that always that blows my mind. I mean, the amount of people that want to take advantage of someone else in this country, it, it is really amazing to me or, yeah. yeah and, or, you know, like you said too, I mean, just, you know, they, they underpaid, they didn't do something. How many people are going to go back in or, oh, I realized they didn't charge me for that item. Oh, oh, it's target. I, who cares? They, they got enough money. Like, yeah, that's not how it actually works. Because everyone viewed it that way in the world, basically fall apart, you know. Um, and I also think that, like, so this is my pick, my point to pick with my generation, is that you know, so we didn't always have the internet, right? Like I was born '94, so towards the end of the millennials, right? So we did definitely didn't always have the. I didn't always have the internet wasn't really a thing for me until I was in like fourth or fifth grade, like 2004, 2005, when I had like truly have access to it at school and other other yeah my home. And like nowadays, look at these kids complaining about like, I mean, the new generation to me, like they get, can be offended by anything, you know? Um, and I think some of it's good, but some of most of it's bad. And I think that like in a modern age where I've met so many young kids, like in their college now, they're like thriving entrepreneurs because of the internet. And I look at people who are complaining about the cost of things. It's like the, some things are just gonna, always going to cost the same amount, right? Like if you want to eat healthy and eat well, it's always going to be expensive, right? Um, so work for it. Because there are, as we know nowadays, there are millions of people unemployed. But there are also millions of people looking for workers. So, like, I think the biggest thing I see is, like, some people who have no training or no skills, I don't care less about that, have no desire to work. I have a problem with that. You know, it's like people that just sit there and complain but don't want to work, I'm like, just, just go away. You know, like, either decide you want to work or go live in a shack somewhere. Because, like, I don't care. Like, honestly, I don't care. Yeah, like, I, there are people I, like you and me that will work our ass off to get where we want to go, and they'll always look at us and be like, "Oh, they're privileged or they're lucky or whatever." It's like, go fuck yourself. You know, and it's so funny. I said this to my dad just probably three, four years ago. <clears throat> uh, my parents spent a good chunk of the year in Arizona, and we were driving around. I go, it just dawned on me. Like, you see all these Hispanics, and they're working their ass off. I mean, like they they work. And I said to my dad, I'm like, it's gonna be really cool in the next 30 years to see how many Hispanic born billionaires are on the Forbes list because sure. 
they're buying the, you know, they're buying the dad, you know, maybe dad started a company and the kids buying it. And the kids, you know, expanding it. And you know, like the, the, the whole, you know, first generation might not be educated. Second generation gets more education, third generation more. However, yeah. it's, I, I think that's one of the coolest things too, about this country. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty diehard patriot. I, I, I love the United States and, mm -hmm. Yeah, no matter what anybody says about political parties in office, there is no better place to live than in this country because there's there, there is opportunity for everywhere sure. for people for, for people sure. to go. I mean, like the stories that you I mean, you probably know people like, you know, they came here as an immigrant and they had nothing mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, they worked their butt off and they they you know. Yeah. One of my one of my I had to tell the story in, in code because what happened isn't public probably won't be public for a very long time, but my best friends, he grew up in a village in Africa um, and came to the U.S., became educated, started multiple businesses, was on Shark Tank, millionaire by 28, um, and now is like integrating some of his fashion like lifestyle brands with one of the largest clothing companies in the world that are like, you know, for positive good. And he grew up in like a village in a shack with a dirt floor, you know, um, and his parents realized that like the only way their kids were going to reach success was going to america his brother's a doctor his sister's a doctor his other brother i think is like a lawyer or something like they're all you know highly contributing members to society uh and you hear all these young white privileged kids complain that america isn't fair and it's a terrible place to be and like everywhere i travel doesn't matter if it's a privileged country or not there's a strong majority of the population that would kill someone to have a chance in america yeah they're yeah. It reminds me of a good story. There was a guy that was on the treadmill at the office uh, about a year ago. And this guy jumps in the treadmill and likes me. We start chatting. And he is from, uh, I can't remember exactly what country, but the Middle East. And he moved to the U.S. when he was young. And he grew up in a one of the wealthiest suburbs in the Twin Cities. And he is uh, Muslim. And we were talking. I was like, was it weird growing up there, you know, knowing how, you know, not diverse it is he goes no he goes all the kids are great but he goes i went back home one time i think he said he was 16 one of his uh uh one of his cousins was like your dad is our hero he sends money over every month he's you know trying to help us and he goes what can i do and he goes, his cousin grabs him and goes don't fuck it up and <laughs> it was, and I, was I was like what do you mean by that and he goes so many people want to come into the United States because they see it as an opportunity to, to kick ass and take names. But yet so many people like they get here and they're like, Oh, this is really easy just to, you know, survive, not really live and et cetera. But mm -hmm. I thought it was an interesting perspective of like so many people around the world wish they had the opportunity to come to the United States to start a business or whatever work, whatever it might be. And I, I think, you know, people on both sides of the aisle need to just realize, like, we have something pretty damn special here. And, you know, people wouldn't risk their lives coming across borders if this wasn't a special country. And the opportunity that's given, I, I don't know, like, I, yeah, I'm throwing through a patriot. I, I, I love the United States. Yeah. I think there's so much opportunity here. And I, I'm one of those people, like, best days are ahead of us. Yeah. And I, and like, and I'm not, and I, I'm a strong believer in this country. It doesn't mean we have a lot of things to fix everywhere does like any, anything exactly. that's good. You know, we, we have a lot of things to fix, all things we can do, but like, in my mind, like the fundamental foundation is there. Right. 
and our foundation is built on shattered past and we have ruined entire civilizations of you know um native americans and, and other you know members of our shared species to get to where we are but like you know that doesn't mean that it's not like you you can't you know, that's my big thing now is like some people want to pull the entire system to the crashing burning ground and rebuild it because at one point at multiple points in time like it was not good but like there are many things that we do now that we think are great that I'm sure a hundred years now that people are going to be like, that was terrible. You know, you were, you were, you were against this person. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay, you know, what we did to native American tribes in this country, you know, just brutally killing them and taking their land and displacing them. And especially during slavery, like all this stuff is a, a, abysmal and abominable. I don't think anyone else would think otherwise. And if you do, then go fuck yourself. But at the end of the day, like, it's really hard to find a country or anything that, that has a perfect history. And I think that the best thing you can do is like understand why the problems happen so They never happen again. Right. And there'll always be people that hate other people and want to commit acts of violence and are just crazy. And you just gotta, you gotta just silence those people because they'll always exist. You know, you know there's always a crazy person. So you're, you're spot on. I'll, I'll tell you as a fairly astute reader of us history, uh, Massachusetts is home to, in my mind, the greatest president in American history, John Adams, because John Adams, if you read his biography, it's amazing. He and Abigail were just livid over slavery and were, it it was, it was abhorrent to them. And it was crazy. I mean, it was amazing to see how powerful Abigail was in in his political career, but also just to understand their stance and that type of stuff. And I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's crazy. Like you, Someone was talking about it the other day. I think it was on a James Aldrich podcast with a theory of like time travel. And if you could change something in the past, it would write itself over the course of centuries, whatever. I'm like, wouldn't it be crazy if you could go back and just like flip a switch in 1776 and be like, there is no slavery and just see what, what would the U S look like? It'd be a, I, I, I would be so intrigued to see like, would we have had some other horrific war, civil war that tore us apart? I think it'd be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I what I like to play, the the multiverse game I like to play is like instead of U.S. citizens at that time climbing over each other to buy and and like kidnap people from other countries, which is literally what we did to turn them into indentured servitude workers, would be like what if it became an open market where we try to appeal to people around the world, come learn a language, become part of our country, become part of our system. Like imagine how diverse and much more powerful and like much higher we would have achieved. And how much less, you know, problems we'd have if that was the case, right? Well, and, that's, and that's why I, I always like, like when when Ukraine when Russia invaded Ukraine, the first thing I would have done if I was president was not only done the best I can, like don't send like both. It's like whatever. I'm not gonna get into that. But like the biggest thing I've done is, is offer visas to any Russian engineer, scientist, doctor, researcher who's like, I need to get the fuck out of Russia because they don't know what they're doing. Right. And this is going to end poorly for everyone involved. And I would take them. I'd have been like, hey, you want to come here, get a guaranteed visa for 10 years and we'll help you find a job in your altered profession. And we'll make sure you can get the equivalency to like actually help out our country. Great. Let's do it. It's like what, what, what the Americans did after World War II when we like basically took all the Nazi scientists. That's where Oppenheimer came from. That's where von Braun came from. Like the entirety of our defense technology and the existence of NASA and the getting people to the moon and, and like all modern technologies basically was born out of this idea that we started taking scientists from around the world and giving them a better opportunity than they were forced to have underneath a different regime. 
right? And like, imagine if we'd been doing that the entire time, you know? So it's interesting. But, you know, I try to, I think I think that's also important in hiring, like try to hire as diversely as possible. Because like, even if someone, you know, is American, born in America, but their family originates from somewhere else, like that level of diversity, that different way of thinking always adds beautifully to a team, right? Yeah. Um, sad. I said how many companies are like, just white males, just a bunch of white males. Um, but it happens. it's, uh, it's, yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on. It's, I also think it's kind of sad how many companies preach diversity, but then six months later, nothing ever happens. And so it always, I'm always like, what, what are these big corporate, like these corporations just seem to pander, but yeah. we can, we can discuss that topic. Um, we, we, <laughs> we, 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 we got you know what we can do? We can start a podcast together called like the Taboo Topics and just start interviewing people <laughs> these Taboo Topics that nobody wants to talk about because everybody's afraid to get canceled. I talk about all those things. I mean, like if people go back into my original podcast, like especially during the George Floyd protests, like I go pretty in, and they're still on here. It's on there and you can go listen to them. And like I, I'm, I wasn't for or against them. I just never think violence is a way of demonstrating peace, right? Like you, you can't say that you're like, you know, people deserve to burn down a whole city because there was one of a couple of not one there's multiple abhorrent people that created a system of like industrialized racism that 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 eventually led to that incident right um everything from hiring to training to etc etc but like that doesn't give someone an excuse to go raid pillage plunder and loot someone else's business you know and that's and that's my big thing is like bad things are going to happen but it's never an excuse for another bad thing to happen yeah, I, I I would agree with you, and I I think you know being so close in the Twin Cities to where all that went down. I mean, Ferguson. it was it was a weird time here, and I think uh, you know I understood the frustration and the anger. And I think like the part that really threw me for a loop was when I saw a bunch of weirdly white people looting a post office in Minneapolis, and all I could think about is, man, there's probably some kid that was expecting a toy for his birthday. And now he's not getting that toy because a bunch of assholes that they, you know, were privileged enough to be able to steal that. And like, yeah, like that's, that's the part with the whole, that whole situation. I never understood. is like, why were people just like looting random places? And these people were not, they, they, they weren't African-Americans. Some people love chaos and they love co-opting into an idea. You know, um, yeah, this is interesting, right? But yeah, I'm sure we could get on that rabbit hole at night. <laughs> Anyways, um, on our way out, and we'll obviously have a part two sometime in the near future. Um, is there anything you want to add? Anything you want to just to, to, to plug? Obviously, you know, switchback will be linked below. Recommend everyone here give it a try. Um, but uh, yeah, anything else you want to add? No, this has been awesome. This is a lot of fun. Cool. But I appreciate it. A lot of fun, enjoyable. I always learn from you, so thank you. Of course. I learned from you, too. So this, I, I always love in our conversation when, you know, it's like a, a hallmark of a good relationship in my mind is both people feel like they're the lucky one in the relationship of like, I get to know someone because I learned so much. When both people feel that way, that's, you know, you have like a good relationship. Right. Yeah. Although, um, yeah, I will tell you, our, our next conversation, we're going to talk about Lyft on the A380 and the 747 because that's yeah. really what I'm, I, I want to understand from you is how do those things get off the ground Bernoulli's principle basically at the end of the day. 
it, it all comes down to difference in pressure between, you know, masses there, right? It's, yeah, it's basically like you're cheating, you're cheating physics, but you're actually just following the laws of physics, right? I missed that in science class. So we're going to have to, we're going to go back okay. to like fourth okay. grade science. For sure. As, as a teaser, as, as a teaser before we get deep into like why wings are shaped the way they are, the basic idea of why a plane flies is pressure, right? And so Bernoulli's equation basically states that if a fluid like air or water is moving faster than a fluid in the exact same container or situation, it's going to have higher pressure, right? That's just based on how a fluid moves. So if you accept that to be like, okay, that's a law, it's immutable, it's not changing, right? So if you look at a wing and you have airflow passing underneath the wing and the top of the wing has this weird shape to it to slow down the air, so you have more pressure on the bottom than the top. And what is pressure? It's force over area. So if you have a wing and they're the same exact area, but the one on top is slowing down the speed of the air and the one at the bottom is speeding up the air, then there'll be naturally more pressure pushing up the plane. That's all, that's basically the entire reason why planes fly. That's, that's it. That's all this. That actually makes the most sense of any, ar a, 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 not, not an argument, it makes the most sense of anything I've ever yeah. read about that or heard. Because mm -hmm. now that makes absolute sense. So it's pressure on the bottom versus pressure on top. Yeah, and then so basically when you see a plane taking off and the flaps extend, what you're doing is you're changing the shape of the wing so that the air is going even slower across the top and even faster along the bottom so that it has even more, you need more lift at lower speeds when you're taking off. But at cruise, like, it wouldn't be, it would be very unstable because, like, it does, it's already going 500 miles an hour. You don't need that extra amount of lift. But, like, the, if, you, if you try to land a plane without flaps, it would stall, crash. So flaps are important, um, but yeah. Next time I get on a Delta flight, I'm going to let the pilot know that, hey, sir, flaps are important. Make sure to use them. Yeah. Basically, every modern plane, if some kind of setting or thing has to happen in order for something to happen, there's an alarm system that's going to go off if they don't do it well before they should, right? And so you look at every single plane crash, at least in the past couple decades, it's rarely been because the plane had a problem. It's always because the pilots had a problem. So, hey man, I, unless I, it was a Boeing seven eighty seven Max. So, yeah, well, exactly. I, as I said, one of my favorite shows is Air Disasters. And I'll tell you what, like when, when you watch that show, you're like every almost every single one is pilot error, and you're like, yep, or maintenance okay. error, especially older planes. A lot of maintenance error. Weather was a big thing, but weather's always a pilot decision. You don't have to fly through thunderstorm. You really don't have to. There are many other places to fly. You know. Um, but yeah, cool. Well, um, thank you so much for the time. Uh, you and I will connect briefly after I stop recording. And I hope everyone has a good day or night, whatever it is. Yeah, I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Oli Hoved. You can find him online by Googling Oli Hoved. That's O-L-E-H-O-V-D-E or Switchback Foods, spelled exactly the way you think it is. And as always, you can find me online at Rob Ockingclaw's or Rob is lost. I hope you all have a fantastic and beautiful rest of your day. Goodbye.